This podcast is sponsored by Hover, the best way to buy and manage domain names. Please visit Hover.com and use promo code IRONBANK to get 10% off your first order. He has to pay the iron price. He has to pay the iron price. Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Joffrey, Cersei, ill and pain and hound. They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm found. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond and my bond is my word. Valar to Harris, all men must serve. See as a raven flies and time slips by. Valar, my rulers, all men must die. Welcome, everybody, to the Game of Thrones podcast brought to you by BaldMove.com. We are the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's Game of Thrones television series. This week, we're talking about episode six of season four, The Laws of Gods and Men. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. Uh, Jim, what did you think? Have you come down from your previous liking of the episode? Are you a little bit more fair and balanced? No. You hate it? Uh, <laughs> yes, I've you completely flip-flopped. I hate Dick. Uh no, I have not come down from the parts that I really loved. I think I even said in the instant cast there were a couple of spots where it felt weird. Um, Theon's not in a good way, not in a freaky. Uh, no, freaky no, weird way. not in a like French tickler kind of weird. No, <laughs> not that. Uh, Theon stuff didn't do it for me, but we had such an awesome scene with Tyrion at the end that it's hard for me to get too down on the episode. Uh. Well, it wasn't hard for the viewers because this almost broke a record for least amount of people oh. watching it for this season. It only got 6.4 million viewers, which still oh, is only a shit point. ton. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Lion and the Rose, interestingly enough, the 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 huge atomic bomb episode only got 6.3. Huh. Last week set a record. We didn't have the stats when we went to air or whatever you call podcast when we went to ether, but it got 6.9. <laughs> Or no, sorry, 7.16 million Damn. viewers. That is impressive for, again, a premium cable television offering. Uh, this was directed by Alec Sakharov and written by Brian Cogman, who also wrote uh, number four, The Oath Keeper. Uh, that's pretty much the pre-show stuff. Uh, I thought this was a beautifully directed and beautifully shot filmed. Or beautifully shot the piece of film. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it started from the very beginning with the uh, clockwork credit sequence getting upgraded in a major way with Bravos. Br- or yeah, as the... I like to call it, Bravos, since there's two A's in there. <laughs> yeah. Don't, your... con- don't confuse it with Davos. I mean, yeah, it's, it's... they're very obviously distinct things here in this well, universe. If it's, if it's Davos from Bravos, it's a lot harder to get it messed up. Sure. So is that a reference to, to goats? The ghosts that we see at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> well, those aren't actually in Bravos. I know. Those are in Mirene. So okay. they'd be Mirenese goats. Yeah, it was cool. It was like a coin, uh, a coin, a Rube Goldberg bank. Yeah. Like piggy bank sort of thing. Yeah, I like how each location kind of has. Well, I, I think that's they've added that. Uh-huh. Uh, like the Boltons looks kind of tortury. And uh, the I, the Bravos has the Iron Bank featured prominently. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of any others that have something. I always thought that the, like Astapor, where they got the Unsullied, had kind of like a very things being pulled along by chains, almost like the the damn thing mm. didn't want to do of its own volition. The 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 Clockwork City itself had been enslaved. I thought huh. that was a cool touch. Okay. Uh, so we we get to see that we get to see the Titan. Uh, we'll definitely see him later on. 
weird another really weird camera angle uh since they've they used to have a nice smooth transition across the narrow sea when we went to the Dothraki sea yeah. but now they got this weird like spiraling Sean White-esque helmet cam <laughs> thing flop over to Essos and I really feel like people could be forgiven if they think this is on the same continent Okay, sure. Because you lose all sense of direction and orientation. But it is cool looking. It's just less useful from a where the hell are we mm-hmm. uh, plot aspect. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. So, uh, speaking of Bravos, Stannis and Davos are getting impatient with the bankers. Uh, bad enough they charge $3 to get your gold dragons out of a foreign ATM. But <laughs> God forbid you actually need to go in and see a teller. Because uh-huh. apparently you got to get three coordinated under break times and smokes mm. and their lunches. And by the time all that happens, half the day goes by. Uh, what did you think of the scene? Not knowing anything about Bravos like you do. Uh, I thought it was good. I mean, it, it makes sense to see where the guys from the Iron Bank are coming from uh, with their view on this war. It's like, right now, there's a guy, uh, you're you're coming to us and you're asking for a loan. You have no collateral whatsoever. Uh, very evident by the question he asks him about what he produces to, to feed his troops and his, his boats. To feed his boats right. is, is almost a direct quote there. He uses um, goats to feed his boats, <laughs> which neatly ties the whole Davos and Bravos yeah, thing together. Go. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so I I really thought it made sense to see like their outlook on this this war, um, and Stannis' request. The one thing I was curious about is when they first come in and they tell him to take a seat. 
Stannis takes his sweet ass time sitting down. Oh, that's Stannis. Is okay. I I was gonna ask you why why he takes such a long time to sit down. Is it like an etiquette thing? Is he supposed to, as as viewing himself as the king? Does he think I should be sitting and you should be standing, and then I ask you to sit? Is that like an etiquette thing? I would say that this is many layered, like the onion that Davos's sigil okay. yeah. reflects. Uh, number one, yes, he's kind of off put the fact that they just come in and sit down in front of his worship, his yeah, grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, he's pissed that it's kind of like, yeah, we're here, let's get started. <laughs> and he wants to, like, you know, give him a small taste of the impatience that he's shown. Hmm. Okay. And I think that they're, you know, a combination of two is he's trying to portray a little bit of power and, um, importance in the face of these three people that are obviously not giving a fuck about him or who he is or what he's there for. Yeah. And being almost insolent about it. Uh-huh. You know, the fact that they 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 made a trip over this ocean to come see them and they're going to meet with him for 5 minutes and then turn him down, not even a don't even need to see his credit application. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or maybe that was a credit application. You know, how many how many goats and beefs and salt <laughs> porks and bum fucks do you produce on uh-huh. zero? Okay, well, let's let's do the short form of the credit application. The answer is no, deny. Yeah. You get a letter in the mail about four to six weeks telling the exact reasons why you get insufficient credit. <laughs> uh, you and I are not Sherlock fans. No. In, in, in the sense that we've not seen it. It's not that we've seen it and we think it sucks. Yeah, I just haven't watched it. Uh, this guy who plays the head banker, who is the only one that speaks, is named Mark Gattis, and he plays Mycroft Holmes, which is Sherlock's uh, older brother. <laughs> okay, I'm a Sherlock Holmes fiction fan. I used to read it a lot in high school because I was All a nerd. Right. Uh, so I know the character, um, and I know that he's kind of a fan favorite. There's a lot of buzz in the spoiler section about... Uh, you know, when we get to meet him and how people are excited about it. Uh, I thought he was pretty, hmm. good, pretty good. Pretty good at being uh, upper crust sassy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I enjoyed Sass his performance. Sass with money attached. <laughs> uh, you think we'll see more of him? Sure. I I mean, you. I think you kind of spoiled that in that the people who have spoilers are talking about when we would get to see him and stuff. It seems like he would probably have a bigger role. Oh well, fuck! I didn't mean to spoil like that. I meant like he was a ta- it, you know, it's a casting spoiler, which is why I waited till now to say it. I didn't okay, think it was like, but uh, a one-off guy casting spoiler. spoiler would not be a very big deal if it weren't. You know the what? Fact that he'll fuck be back. it. Mildly <laughs> interested in your thoughts on my spoilers. Uh, okay. So th- this was about to be a disaster until Davos turned his weakness, which is uh, they were kind of openly disrespectful of his thievery getting rewarded a title, into his strength. He used the example of Stannis taking his fingers, uh, trimming his joints a little bit as, yep. a, as a way to demonstrate that this man pays his debts. And it's he keeps, very, keeps people to an account. Very confusing, because taking someone's fingers is very different from paying back a whole bunch of gold. No, I get it. Right. It's like... If if you owed me money, uh-huh. uh, didn't have the money to pay for it, so I took like a, a Star Wars figure off your desk. Sure, that's not evidence that I can repay my debts. Sure, that's or just that I hold other people accountable for theirs. The world's chock full of assholes who want theirs but are slow about paying. Exactly. You know, 
So I don't know how that proves a goddamn thing to these guys. Uh, what well, was a good speech? It, yeah, very moving good speech. Good enough to, to pry quite a bit of gold from the Iron Bank, or we understand that it, basically from from Davos's reaction and the fact that he's recruiting his old buddy, pirate buddy uh, Saladin, yeah. that uh, he is uh, thinks that he's got everything that he was asking for. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, this is if you we put our knowledge together from the previous episodes. He's going to have the ships and the cell swordmen that he needs to keep Stannis as a threat in the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah, but he has. Did I hear right that he has four thousand troops? That's four thousand. All he has left, right? Wow, that's even less than Danny has at this point. Oh hell yeah! That doesn't seem like less an army half. that could take King's Landing by any means. No, in fact, he's got less men and less ships than Danny. But yeah, so it seems like he's going to have to work. Other right. magic there, yeah, uh, no, but... and, and I do mean magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, presume. What do you mean by you do mean magic, Melisandre? Oh, you think she's gonna have to? She's gonna up have some to be the wild card, shadow army, yeah. From her sh- f- shadow vagoo. <laughs> she Shabu. has a shadow vagoo now. Oh no! Yeah, it's made of smoke and fire. <laughs> That's yeah. just redheads for you, though. Um, I think that <laughs> I think that the implication is that he's going to. By his way into an army, okay, and just similar right. to what Danny did, except that for she sense. arguably just thieved it. Yeah, she she liberated yeah. her army, and, and that was the whole. I mean, yeah, you're right. They they told us that basically two episodes ago when he wrote the letter mm-hmm. to Davos to sorry to Bravos, right? Not confusing at all to Davos uh, from Bravos. <laughs> Wait, no, other way I got around. Back friends, yeah, or do I? No, uh, yeah, so. And really, it seems like that there was some pre-existing concern here with uh, the age of Tywin and the unsuitability of his heirs. Yep, he's sixty-seven. They said sixty-seven. It's pretty old in those days, I would think, or in this universe. Sure. Uh, I mean, most of the kings have died very young, <laughs> right? Hmm. Yeah, we're a little debate on Facebook about how plausible it is that Tywin could keep the secret of his mind running dry completely airtight because it's like you know let's assume that he kills all the miners okay the fact that in all the westerlands no one will know anyone that is working for the famous lannister mines would be kind of telling in itself yeah you know what happened to bill used to work the mines. i don't know he died well who's working the mines now i haven't heard anybody working the mines yeah and i suppose tywin could pay people to work i mean the thing about gold and maybe that's what he's doing. He's mining ore, and or he's just having people mining rocks and lying about how much ore they're getting. Huh, maybe. The fact that they're not getting any gold nuggets, but, you know, like you're doing a panhandling thing, and you're pulverizing sure. rock and smelting it. He's just keeping that part of the operation. So they're still mining. They're just wasting time and money. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, seems... it seems hard to keep that big of a secret secret. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. Uh, I think we talked about that. We also talked about uh, uh, Davos recruiting his pirate friends. Uh, we heard the hilarious brown pants story. Uh-huh. Uh, I've heard that at least three or four times. I'm sure the whores and bravos have heard it at least that many. You've not heard that story before. I've never heard that, no. Okay, interesting. Uh, so let's move on to Yara Greyjoy, her rescue attempt against the Dreadfort. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Ramsey's rough sex was the cover for the invasion because <laughs> the Dreadfort men, curiously, you know, 
they they took the grapple coming up the walls just very casually. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, what's this around the corner? Giant, hmm. a giant hook on my walls. A hatchet. <laughs> uh. Really good rousing speech where she read Ramsey's letter insulting all Ironborn everywhere and yeah. making the point to her men who we understand is like some of the best, most trained killers in the whole Iron uh, – on the, all the Iron Islands mm-hmm. and said the Iron the word Ironborn means nothing as long as this insult remains unanswered. Yeah, the insult of uh, uh, dismembering their prince. Yeah, the royal – you know. Making off with the royal family, yep. Torturing him, unmanning him—all, all pretty, pretty tough stuff for the Ironborn to take, I would think. And this is where I think the copious amounts of torture and the varied amounts of torture pay off because it wasn't just the pain compliance; it wasn't just him being un, uh, castrated, or I don't—I'm not mm-hmm. sure if he took it out root and stem. He just took out the berries and yeah, left. Yeah, I was a little worried we were going to get a shot of it. I was this episode. Fa- I honestly wanted to see it. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to see not I, in like. I a, mean, I say worried as in it would have been a gruesome sight, but I'm yeah. very curious. Like, is he like a kin doll down there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does he? I, he made it nice and smooth. He just right. took his time. He cut it off right, and then he healed it up. Because no, I doubt it. It seems just from the sausage play and the favorite toy that he could have he could have cut it off and left the balls. It sounds like he didn't because of uh ramsey's comments during the battle like when he's talking about her balls and says that he used to have or I think a he bigger just... pair than he ever did yeah but that it, doesn't there's that a doesn't light conclus- implication okay but it doesn't it's not conclusive because, it's certainly not no yeah i mean which it just makes us curious what is down there sure sure um anyway <laughs> Lots of lots of mild interest into Theon's uh, private po- uh, parts here. Yeah, different kind of mild interest. <laughs> but I, I think that the torture last season paid off because one of the things they pointed out is how many traps Ramsay laid. Yeah, for to test his quote unquote loyalty, and Theon has learned this lesson only too well. His first thought is, "My God, this is another trick." Yeah, we I saw... have to. I I to keep from being further hurt. I yeah. have to. Uh, do what I'm expected to do. And yeah. it's really disturbing the mm-hmm. totality in which Ramsey owns this man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he has made this man his pet. And I don't think that this scene where he would just instantly recoil from his sister, bite her, lock himself in his own cage, would play if we were missing one or two of those scenes from last year. I'm with you. Yeah. It, it makes it makes a lot of sense in retrospect. Cannot believe I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah, but at the time it was they were really stretching it as far mm-hmm. as how much torture I was going to put up with. Right now it all makes sense. I'm with you there, especially the... since in the books you get to be in Theon's head, yeah, in yeah. the Reek's head, and you see that the 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 you you can just see in his thoughts the amount of psychological devastation that's happened here. You don't yeah. get that window into this guy's uh, mind and soul. So I, I think that's almost the point that th- this was so brutal and so hard to watch. So when we got this, it's like, yeah, I totally buy that that would be an outcome. Yeah. The other thing that really lends credibility to the outcome is the casting job they did with Theon. He has had crazy eyes from the beginning. Right. He's putting those to great effect. Right. In these scenes. Yes. Uh, and just the way he's playing it all twitchy. He's and... giving Reba McIntyre a run for the crazy eye. <laughs> 
throne okay. or belt, Steve whatever Bashimi? you call it. How, Steve how's he stacking up there? Uh, those are some crazy eyes. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. He's the he's the bastard son of Steve Buscemi and Reba McIntyre. <laughs> That's how crazy and googly oh, his eyes are. Uh, where was I? I oh, know. yes. Uh, speaking of uh, Alex Sakharov and his direction, I really enjoyed the quick cut we got to one of Ramsey's uh, hounds, like, biting at the ca- the the iron bars of his cage. Oh, yeah. The I thought beginning. that that was indicative of both Ramsey and Reek, that you know, uh, Ramsey is just a fucking mad dog. Yeah. Uh so we've we've talked a lot about good things on this scene. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the downside. Uh, I know there were some problems you had with it. Would you care to elaborate on that? It most of what I didn't like about it is the feel of it. It felt very quick, um, which you would want in a rescue attempt. But even once the battle started, it was very abrupt. Like. Th- there was no real desperation for her to save her brother and i i get that yeah she kind of lost that once she saw the state of theon mm-hmm. um but it didn't seem like she tried very hard she pulled him out the battle started and then she just ran away when he released the dogs that doesn't seem like that big of a threat either i'll i'll, I'll throw in one into the ring i believe Yara's the type of woman the type of sister that would have killed her brother Hmm. rather than leave because that she could have accomplished that really quickly uh would have killed him rather than leave him in that state i mean and she all but said like you know my brother's dead let's move on uh i don't see how to square her speech leading up to that with how she kind of left things it it didn't feel right to me either hmm. okay for different reasons and also no for all the other reasons too i didn't have i mean Obviously, the Dreadfort is undermanned. We got all that backstory a couple of episodes ago. They yeah, still yeah. haven't taken a choke point, so most of the Bolton Northman army is still trapped south. Mm-hmm. So I believe that lightly garrison that those Ironborn. In fact, I think the opposite. The Ironborn that was in the kennels seemed like more than a match for the Northmen that came up, and maybe they're just that good a fighter. Yeah. But one of the things I've always enjoyed about this series is how brutal and realistic the combat is. Like, the Hound... It was it, all he could do to take out down four regular dudes drunk in a yeah, bar. and would have lost that had it not and, been for and, and he's heavily armed and armored. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ramsey comes in there uh, bare-chested and bloodied and just dispatches all these guys and yeah. quickly even the odds. So I don't know. I, there's... Also, what, what do you make of him releasing the hounds? Uh, I like that. That's a good way to end the... The skirmish, although... Well, once when we were watching it yesterday, you said, they're just dogs. And these people have swords and armor and shields, and yeah. they can't deal with a couple dogs. I mean, a pack of dogs is no joke for, like, a one-person unarmed, unarmored. I don't know what... I mean, I like my chances against three or four bloodhounds if I had plate armor. And three or four and, dudes behind and swords, you. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, but on the other like hand, not... I guess the implication is he could just keep opening cages. How many fucking dogs has he got? How, well, how many cages does he does he show the key for? Wait a couple seconds, smile, and then open the cage before they slice him limb from limb. Well, but I'm it's saying like... once he lets so let's say there's three dogs per cage. Simple math, Jim. There's at least three cages because Theon is in the third to the to the so that's sure. six dogs. He could unleash three. They're uh, causing the chaos. He unleashes three more. Why would they let him unleash a single dog? 
I mean, he holds that key up He's for right a good three seconds. She could leap in with a sword yeah, and take his head the off. the whole 21-foot rule. Yeah, if you she don't was know way that, closer than if that. If you don't know that, the rule of thumb in law enforcement is if someone's got a knife out hmm. and they're closer than 21 foot, that they can actually run up and stab you before you can shoot them with a gun. Okay. So he just has a key. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot less useful than a gun. Yeah, However, yeah. that that shit gets violated all the time in fiction. Okay, sure. And they needed a way to resolve the combat, and I... Yeah, that's not why I didn't like this scene. Yeah, yeah, right. But it's just another silly thing. Okay. Uh, well, we've torn it apart enough. We've we've torn into it like Ramsey's dogs. Uh, Theon then gets rewarded for his loyalty with a bath. Yep. And we see, like, if anything, last year soft-pedaled the torture because... We saw the state of his body, uh, and now we see the state now, how many additional scars he's gotten. Yeah. Uh, he's lost his nipple. A lot, it's a rough week for nipples in yeah. fiction. Yeah, it is. Uh, not, not to spoil anything, <clears throat> uh-huh. but it's a rough week for nipples in fiction. It's, like I said, I, I, if anything, I feel like they soft-pedaled the torture, which seems hard to, to believe. Yeah. Uh, and it's just fucked up, him bathing him in the way uh, Alfie Allen's portraying. It's almost like physical pain, but also like mixed with some kind of pleasure when he's bathing I him. I think he's just deeply uncertain that this is not another trick. Sir, yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, but I just thought that that inner kind of conflict between yeah, uh, the, and the suspicion of this reward was kind of amazing. And the end where he says, I need you to pretend to be someone you're not, Theon Greyjoy. And the look of, like, sheer joy on Ramsay's face was demonic. (laughs) And, again, just so fucked up the concept that he's so far in the bag that he's going to pretend to be someone he's not, that he really is that person. Yeah, he's going to pretend to be himself. It's it's a very weird... Yeah, yeah, it's very weird. I I don't know. I mean, once he goes to whatever castle he's going to, mm-hmm. I assume he's going to probably meet up with his sister. Are they are they going to be able to convince him and and break him of the spell he's under with Ramsay? So you think that this plan might know. in fact backfire? I'm I'm wondering. Yeah, we will see. Yeah, we will. Uh, let's go across the narrow sea to Daenerys holding court in Marine. Uh, we see. Oh, actually, I skipped a scene. Uh, we see a goat herd tending his flock with his son, <laughs> and the big black dragon, as you say, Drogon, attacks and it makes off with at least one sheep. Looks like set fire to the whole flock, which leads direct to the next scene where Danny's holding court. She has her first supplicate come in, which is the same goat herd, and he's like, "Hey, uh, I love you. I voted for you. Got your bumper sticker on my bumper." <laughs> <laughs> on the left cheek of one of my goat's ass, but mm-hmm. look at what your dragon did. Charred yeah. bones. And she says, you know what? I'll pay you three times the goat's value in gold or whatever. And he thinks she's the greatest. And everybody, everybody's giving smug looks all around. So what, what exactly happened here? The, the, we saw Dragon, dragon. take... Uh, yes, I'm I'm well aware. Uh, we saw Dragon take out at least one goat. Do we assume that the others ran away? Because he says he lost everything. Oh, I thought that that I thought more than one goat got killed in the initial strafing. Like all of the goats got killed. 
a good number of them. And that's that's just a first okay. strafing run. Do you think? I mean, Drogon might have come back for more because that that it that didn't goat, seem like it. I mean, he flew away and he grabbed goat and flew away. Yeah, it's just a snack for him. That but... goat's uh, yeah, he's going to come back. He you know and right. that that set a huge huge part of the grass on fire. I can buy yeah, yeah. that. And this guy didn't look like he had like four thousand head of goat. No, he had like ten. Yeah. So <laughs> Drog- Drogon could have easily finished them off if not eaten them all, at least incinerated them all. Yeah. Okay. Now. It does seem that this is a little bit of the Walmart Walmart return policy problem. Hmm. You have generous return policies, and pretty soon you're going to get people, you know, bringing in a a five year old television that they've obviously <laughs> smashed on the ground and like, yeah, this thing's faulty. I need a new one. Yeah, I mean, what's stopping <laughs> a goat herd from bringing in a some chart? So, so he loses a goat to natural causes, or maybe just eats them. Uh-huh. Char some bones and says, hey, I have a whole flock gone. Hell of a thing, Khaleesi. Yeah. Uh, Terrible. I'm destitute. What are you going to do for here's me? Here's three times the value of all of your worldly possessions. Uh, yeah, yeah. It seems like people are playing fast and loose with um, rewards this episode. Ooh. Uh, Danny, you know, gives this guy three times what the goat herd was worth. Uh, Tywin later on gives not 10 sacks of gold or 10 sacks of silver, but... A hundred sacks of silver for stags. the killing, or stags of silver, whatever. That's a denomination. Okay, for the killing of the hound, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the the mountain? No, it's the hound. The hound, okay. I get them confused sometimes. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of people just giving away money. It's easy to tell and, them apart. He... The hound is the hound, and the mountain is fucking enormous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know the hound when I see him. I do not know the mountain when I see him. Well, He's changed actors so many times. You'll be so forgiven he's been three different people. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it it seems like the guy took the goat bones with him, so he could just pass them around to the, to his brother. Hey, if you take these in here and you say, right, the goats got killed by the dragon, she right. will give you a shitload of money. It reminds me of the uh, uh, shit. What's that guy's name? Brian Regan skit where he goes to the hospital and they ask him like, what's his pain on a rating from one to ten, and he's like, <laughs> oh god, what do I say? You know, if it's a three, they'll give me like some baby, half a baby aspirin. Yeah, yeah. If I say it's a ten, then people like with broken femurs will be down here. It's like, who's got the temerity to say they're a ten? So he says eight, and they give him morphine. And on the way out of the hospital, he's telling everybody, say eight, say eight. So he's just like handing bones out. Tell him you lost your flocks. Yeah, yeah. Three times gold. Uh, so anyway. Everyone's smug, and they feel like this was a master master statesman at work. And then we see... Although, not quite. Um, her advisor, I don't know what his name is, Barristan, yeah. looks over at her. Um, I thought it was approvingly. At first, it was like, hmm? And then I think it did turn into approval when she saw how hap- when he saw how happy that, that made the guy. Do you think he's worried about this, the same thing that you look I, like? You I, can't, a little bit, yeah. You can't always buy your way out of these things. Yeah, yeah, you throw around money like that, people are going to get wind. Uh, anyway, um, Horton de Lorax comes in of the House Seuss <laughs> and begs mercy for 163 masters she crucified. This is something mm-hmm. we talked about in the last cast about, you know, mercy versus justice. Everybody's going to want their father's body now. Yeah, right. And three <laughs> times the go- their weight in gold. Yeah. Uh it is interesting, and I liked the way Emilia Clark um, portrayed this. Like she's felt punched, and I feel like she felt punched in the gut and very drained 
of the fact yeah. that she was so morally righteous and certain. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I've thought about this a lot. I'm not so certain that she's wrong. No, so because I, I think it's raising a question here. Yeah, uh, a, a a political and and moral question. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the right thing for her to do? I mean, she was cautioned or advised by Barristan to show mercy. Uh, I don't think showing complete mercy would have been appropriate. Right. I don't think necessarily what she did was appropriate either. Just, you know, answering with what she viewed as justice right. without any of the facts. Uh, it's somewhere in the middle, which it often is. It's a, a gray. Yeah, there's justice and there's politics. Because sure. from my perspective, it's all well and good that you are advocate your dad is advocating against the criminal treatment of these child slaves, mm-hmm. but he's still a slaver. Like slavery, the um, in the best case, it's uh-huh. a dehumanizing practice that destroys the human spirit, and it just sure. gets, it just gets shittier from there. Yes, and yeah. like you know, so at the at the very least, this guy's an asshole. Yes, he's <laughs> enslaving children. Uh huh. And he's breaking apart families. He just didn't want to kill him and put him on signposts. Yeah, that that's so so he's that's like a a, he's a good slaver. But on the other <laughs> hand, he, like we talked about on the instant cast, you've got roughly one third of the population who are also, by the way, the wealthy land ho- owning population that are probably connected to the other slave cities. We're yeah. open rebellion to you, and you either have to kill all these people, which is always an option, sure, uh, or you have to somehow bring them into the fold. Yeah. You have to somehow make them work for you in this new society where all the slaves are freemen and, you know, and, and who knows how many of them are left because you have to think that the slaves probably did in a good number of these people all by themselves. Probably. You know, I really wish we would have saw something <laughs> like that. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, we didn't. You know what might have been more justice here is to have the masters become the slaves for a period of time. Ooh. Yeah. That does away with the problem of... Is is it justified to kill these people? Just an eye for an eye, you mm. know? Or make the uh, draft 163 of them to dispose of the bodies or, you know, to, to have the if, – if she brought – Yeah, she... it's hard to make up for that. Yeah, I know. It's like – Without killing people. There again, justice versus politics. Sure. And I think it's interesting to see her struggle with this mm-hmm. because up till now, she's just been blown through Essos like – hot knife through butter and she hasn't really had to stop and think about the consequences yeah and neither have we exactly so I, I think that was as a really we've been good cheering scene. it on and be like yeah yeah fuck yeah, yeah mother of dragons this sure. stuff has been brewing in the background and we don't even we're not even privy to the slaughter that's happening or what you know uh, a guy named the butcher king has <laughs> taken over one of these cities that doesn't seem doesn't sound like a great guy a nice situation for a former slave to be in no uh so what did you think of this uh his zolorak just in general of him as a character? Yeah. Uh, I felt like his plea was honest and heartfelt. Right. Uh, I don't think this is the Walmart return policy issue again. And if it is, there are more supplicants than there are people who... Yeah, then there are people who were put up on the signpost. Sure. Uh, I, I like him as a character. If we saw him again, I would not have a problem. It seems like maybe um, there are a lot of functions that need to be done, like the maintaining of that temple and the maintaining of all the things that he used to do. Uh, maybe he could move into that role and right on. you know, 
become somewhat of a recurring character. They they need someone to restore shit. Since they do. Probably a lot of shit got broke. Yeah. Let's move across back over in the Westeros, uh, where Tywin is convening a small council meeting. He completely dusts off Marjorie's Star Trek: The Next Generation planetary governor father <laughs> yeah. in mid sentence. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Topics of discussion are number one: Prince Oberon being fucking awesome. Doesn't even stand. No, he doesn't even sit in the chair in. properly. No. He's he's laying in it like I do an easy chair at three o'clock in the morning when I'm watching old Saturday Night Live episodes. Just like my legs strung over the thing. Yeah, why do you think that is? World. Why is he so casual? Is that just his character and who he is, or is it a disrespect for Tywin? I I think it's just I think it's his character turned up to eleven for Tywin's enjoyment. Okay. All right. Yeah, so like, he's putting on a little bit of a front. Uh, about how casual he wants to be in front of Tywin. He knows better than to behave this way in yes. this situation. Okay. But he's choosing to do it anyway. <laughs> Good for him. So Tywin needs a little bit of that. Right, right. A little bit of insolence in his ranks. Topic the second. They're just now finding out about Sandor rampaging through the Riverlands and killing their dudes. There, He's in their base killing their dudes. Uh Tywin asks, you know, what would make a common soldier stupid enough to try the Hound? And Varys says, 10 silver stacks. He says, make it 100. Yeah. Uh, how's what do, you, what do you think effect is that's going to have on our friend, the Hound? It's going to be a free-for-all on the Hound once he gets to any populated area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's If 10 is enough and he gives him 10 times that, yeah. uh, every sellsword out there is going to be the after jangling him. pair of... Spurs on his heels is going to be drawn <laughs> naked steel against him. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so that's interesting. Also, we're getting whispers from the east that uh, Danny's doing the things that we know Danny has done. Mm, yeah, and uh, it seems like the only person in the room not taking this as a serious threat is the queen and the that queen regent, rather. That has been true for a very long time. Right. I, the only thing I think Cersei has ever taken seriously was Blackwater when. King's Landing was under siege. And I think she only took it serious when it was almost too late. Yes, In absolutely. fact, it would have been too late had it not been for the last minute. Def- and people are pointing that out. Like, Varys has this disdain for Cersei's actions and her lack of regard for the consequences. Right. Um, and, and even Tywin says that her dismissing of Barristan was stupid. Right. Like, you are just an idiot. Right. And you're fucking things up, and you don't even realize it. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Because Tywin says he, he asked if Varys birds can find their way to Marine and uh-huh. then asked to fetch a quill. Where do you think that's going? Uh, so I think he wants to, we also see a line here that says he will, you know, resort to violence if it becomes necessary, resort to force. Uh, I think he wants to try to talk to Daenerys, which doesn't seem like it'll work. Uh, I don't think if he were to send a letter to anybody, Stannis, anybody who thinks they have a claim on the throne. Like, what if he had sent a letter to Rob Stark? Rob would have laughed in his fucking face. I do, I do think surrender terms were bandied about, and that's pretty much what happened. They both sure. they both sent yeah. back insulting terms to each other. <laughs> yeah. So if he writes this letter to Daenerys, which I think that's what he's doing, then I don't, I don't see a positive response. See, I think that he said force as in like sending boats and troops and armies over there 
Yeah. I think the opposite of that – well, the opposite of that is obviously diplomacy. But I think there's a middle, yeah. middle ground here. And using – if he was sending official terms, he could just send a raven or whatever. Sending Varys' little birds, I think, yeah, implies yeah. more skullduggery. That's true. Yeah. Maybe he's hmm. – I don't know what that form of that skullduggery yeah. uh, could take. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of, uh, cause I, again, diplomacy, there's no fucking way. Although he doesn't know yeah. Daenerys like we do. That's true. He doesn't. Maybe, maybe he's trying to probe to find out. Yeah. Uh, next scene is, uh, Varys taking on Oberyn. Speaking of, uh, probing each other out. Ooh, yeah. That sounds a lot grosser. <laughs> Varys is ill-equipped to do any probing. Uh, Oberyn has uh, been in Essos for oh, at least five years of his life cause he likes to see the big and beautiful world. I admire that. Uh, where's Essos? Essos is the continent across the Narrow Sea, as opposed to Westeros. Oh, Westeros okay. So is west it's of where Essos. the Dothraki were, and yep, okay. And that's where everything that's not in Westeros is basically happening there. There's yeah. other locations, but I don't think there've been like you'll hear references to Summer Isles and all this other stuff, but nothing that's 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 too important. Okay. Bravos is in Essos. Pentos is in Essos. A lot of O's. A lot of O's, O's. out there, yeah. yeah. Uh, the O's and, with the most. Right. And then people <laughs> joke that if the the <laughs> there might be an unknown continent to the west of Westeros called Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh anyway. Is there uh, an Easteros? The Easteros? There's an Essos. That's almost. And okay. you got an Esseroser? I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Uh they're talking about it, and you know he identifies uh, Varys from Lys, which is one of the, another one of the free cities. And uh, Varys is surprised about that; doesn't share with him his origin story. That's interesting because the one person he did share that with that we know of uh-huh. is Tyrion. Okay, how is that interesting? And, well, it it rolls back into the trial later on when mm. he asked the one question of Varys. Um, you know, there's. There's a real trust, I think, between these two guys. Uh, he says that he does not... He only tells people he trusts how he came to King's Landing, and Tyrion is one of those people he's told. Sure. So there, there is trust there, but I, I don't know if Varys just betrayed that trust at the end or, or what went on there. Well, I mean... The, his trust has a certain limits, and there's been friction between Tyrion and Varys already this season. Sure. Uh, you know, and Tyrion kind of was like, has, asked him where his loyalties lie. Yeah. Uh, when shit was starting to go down, and Varys is like, look, I don't got an avenging brother. I don't have a powerful father. I just got me and my 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 whisperers and my little birds. I, so, I have to do what's going to keep me yeah, in I position. Exactly. Sure. You know. Uh, so anyway... Uh, I thought the most interesting part about this is they're talking about desire and the fact that Varys says he's never had sexual desire for any of the sexes. Uh-huh. And even before he was dismembered. Even before he's dismembered, which I always took that happened to him fairly young anyway. So that mm-hmm. might not be completely it might you know, I don't I don't know. I don't know. If they take your balls off when you're seven, do you just never develop sexual feelings towards people? I don't know. Anyway, Interesting question, but what I thought was super interesting is he mentions that I'm glad to have no part of it. It leaves one free to pursue other things. Mm-hmm. Such as? Oberon says, such as, and they focus on the Iron Throne. And Varys looks at the Iron Throne, and Oberon I, realizes he's looking at the Iron Throne. I thought that was fascinating. How did Me you too. take it? 
Because we talked about how Varys surely can't have designs on Iron Throne himself because his He's status... not a nobleman. Yeah, he's not even a nobleman, let alone... He's not a lord, mm-hmm. let alone uh, in the bloodline for kingship. Right. It's And he doesn't have the equipment necessary to make more of himself. <laughs> yeah, so it'd be a one-off, if it'd anything. Be a, it'd be a one-shot wonder, one-hit wonder. Uh, I feel like maybe... He's talking more about control of the throne and less about actually sitting on the throne. Mm. He's got to be, uh, for all the reasons we've discussed before. So he plays the game, uh huh. but kind of like a person betting on the outcome of a game in Vegas. Mm. Okay. Maybe somebody who has an inside track to like. There's, he has a vested influence in, the players. He has a vested interest. Yes, and he has a vested interest in the outcome and might want to influence. But he's not yeah. someone who's going to ho- hoist a trophy. He at doesn't the end want of to. Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which okay. You think about how this ties into his protestations that he does everything for the realm. And you know, again, okay, you know, sure. what is what is what is his end game? Very very interesting. Anything Obviously, else? Or should we move on to the trial? Let's go to the trial. All right, so Jamie shows up into these uh, dungeons to take Tyrion to trial, handcuffs him. I thought it was interesting that it seemed like everything in the scene is meant to contrast the way they did the cinematography, the way they did the camera angles, contrast Tyrion's smallness versus the large, vulgar audience in this throne room and people hurling out already Kingslayer. Yeah. Very impartial crowd. <laughs> Uh, and he's just, everything about his performance is very small. Like when Tommen recruises himself, there's a slight smile, almost like to his sweet nephew and, you know, kind of like glad that he's spared any of this bloodshed or any of this blood on his hands, but everything is about mm. his performance is very small. Uh, he's asked to make an opening statement, uh, who he thinks killed the king. And he's like, probably the pigeon pie, the dry pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, uh, you can blame the bakers or the pigeons, just leave me out of it. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, great line. So we have Sir Marin Trant, who is a uh, known asshole, testifying how Tyrion has slapped the king on multiple occasions and threatened the king. Mm-hmm. Leaves out, as Tyrion tries to say, like, tell him what you're doing. You're beating Sansa Stark while he was pointing a crossbow at her. Uh, no one gives a fuck, least of all t- uh, Tywin. This is a full-fledged kangaroo trial. Oh, yeah. Kangaroo court. For sure. I don't know why they call it a kangaroo court. I don't know either. I mean, kangaroos can be vicious. They can really get at you them claws, but <laughs> I think of them more yeah. as cuddly stuffed animals. Oh, I hear they're not. Yeah. Really? They're just yeah. asshole. Judgmental as hell. They're, yeah, they're just animals. Can't change their opinion for nothing either. They're beasts, and they can box, so I'd stay away. <laughs> then we get uh, <laughs> Grand Meister Pycelle. Another known asshole. Yeah, super asshole. Rattling off these lists of poisons in his old man voice. uh, Implicates that Tyrion had stole some. Finds a necklace on Serdantis that has the residue of the most deadly poison known, the Strangler. Yeah. Obviously, you know, and I had some questions about, because my memory is a little fuzzy on this, and we had a little brief debate on on Facebook about it, but uh, Littlefinger did throw that necklace in the canoe or the boat. Yeah, yeah. So apparently that washed up to shore and was just yet more evidence to uh, take heat away from the Tyrells and on to Sansa and Tyrion. Yep, that's smart for Littlefinger to do. Cersei 
uh, yet another known notorious can, asshole. Can I just say, doesn't Picel's testimony make him a suspect at the end of the day? Like, he's saying, here's a list of poisons. I've got the strangler. Very, very few people have the strangler. Really, did someone steal it, or did you use it? Well, Jim, that would be interesting if this wasn't a kangaroo court. <laughs> I know, I know. The kangaroo presiding does not want to hear any of this <laughs> No, contrary. he doesn't. Uh, moving on to, again, notorious asshole Cersei. Mm-hmm. Tells heap big lies about Tyrion. Uh, and all of these have kernels of the truth. Sure, yeah. And I like how they manipulate that, and without supplying the other evidence... And I think it's interesting also that Oberon kind of is trying to get a little bit closer to the truth. Yes. And his general demeanor is just one of an amusement. Yeah, he's there to just see how this all plays out. But and... he is trying to kind of get, you know, the other side of it. But since he doesn't know the other side and Tyrion's not allowed to supply it, there's he, he it just mostly uh, so, lobbing them softballs that they can knock out of the park. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that Oberon doesn't, take more jabs at Tywin here mm. uh, and kind of reject his authority a little bit more. Right. Uh, by saying, well, let the dwarf speak or yeah, something, right. you know? Right. It's interesting that he, yeah, it is a good point that he is more or less kind of like a lapdog. He's going, going along with along what with Tywin wants. Right, yeah. right. Uh, moving on, the surprise... Well, the second biggest surprise witness, Varys is called, and he also turns on him, gives a very one-sided account about uh, him being the monster, and you should speak softly mm-hmm. around him. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion is allowed to ask one question. Kings are dying like flies just now. Yeah. Uh, he's allowed to ask about, you know, whether he remembers the statement he made about him being the hero of the Battle of Blackwater. Varys said, sadly, I'm never forgetting a thing. I never forget a thing, and the the court is then adjourned briefly. What do you make of this? You had an interesting theory on the instant cast. Sticking with it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like this is an effort by Tyrion to, to, to shame Varys, and I think it works to a degree. And Varys realizes that, yeah, I, I did say that. Uh, I didn't forget it. But there's not much he can do at this point, I guess, with his situation and the way that he has told Tyrion, look, I'm all with the realm here. I'm all about the realm. If if Varys is going to help Tyrion in any way, it's got to be on his terms. He can't. He either can't have anyone know about it if he just straight up frees Tyrion. It's got to be very covert. Or he's just not going to help him in that way. He's going to exert influence where he can, but I I don't know. I I really don't know if Varys is, if that was Varys saying, I feel guilty about it, but I'm not going to help you, or I feel guilty about it, and I'm going to see what I can do. Mild interest. Before we move on to the rest of the trial, I want to shout out Mike F., who... Uh, he actually called the theory that Littlefinger intentionally planted that necklace back on Dantos to yeah. make that connection about three days before the episode aired. So okay. good job on that soothsaying. I have one more question. Okay. Um, what is the killing of a king called? I heard it said, but I couldn't understand king what they slaying? said. King <laughs> slaying? No, no, no. There's a... Regicide? Something aside. Regicide? Yeah, re- reg- okay. Regicide. Okay. 
I was curious. Which is funny. I, apparently, they spoke Latin at one point in Westeros. I, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we then uh, see Jamie accost Tywin in his chambers as he's trying to wolf down some food. Funny that a lion would wolf down anything. But... <laughs> and the Jamie's hectoring him about, like, you know, what if your dynasty? What if your dynasty if your son sure. dies? And Tywin says, first of all, it's dynasty, asshole. <laughs> what is this? Di- I'm having a dynasty right here on my plate. Uh, but he uh, says, look, uh, if you let Tyrion off the hook and don't kill him, I will forsake my white cloak. Mm-hmm. I will leave the Kingsguard. I will take up residence of Castle Rock. I will... Make you a bunch of Lannister kids to carry your banners. Uh, and Tywin says, done. Yeah. You, very quickly responds, done. Very quickly. Uh, what do you make of that? You had a little take on this, uh, on the instant cast. Just want to recap that. And then I have something to interject. Okay. So on second viewing um, and taking into account how fast Tywin responds with done, it seems like that's what Tywin, certainly what Tywin wanted from Jamie, whether he orchestrated the whole thing or not, that's hard to to imagine that he could foresee Jamie giving in like that and and in in that way and during this trial. I I mean it could be a case of either outcome would have pleased Tywin. Uh let's get a, a guilty conviction here and let's kill Tyrion, or let's see what let's see how Jamie responds. I have an alternate take. Okay. All right. I think Tywin is not quite the monster we all think him to be. And if nothing else, he cares a lot about his dynasty. Sure, sure. And that he it was his intention to send Tyrion through the wall the entire time. So when they said that, when he said done, mm-hmm. and that's why I, I was out of my on, chair he cheering. Will, he will be punished accordingly. He will be pun- yes, he yes. wasn't saying he's gonna be murdered. True. Punished accordingly yeah. that uh, I I don't think there's any crime with which you. I mean, obviously, if you're committed a crime and a crowd rips you to pieces, you can't take the black. <laughs> but if you're found in some kind of official court, I'm yeah. not aware of anything that you can do that would put you uh, to where you can't agree to take the black and then okay you know, join the wall. Really, there's no crime that would not allow I you. I don't. To do that. I'm not Even aware. Killing the king. I'm not aware of any crime okay. that would put you beyond the reach of being able to take the Night's Watch because the night taking the black in effect does kill your character yeah. for all political and familial and other purposes. You can't have a title. You can't hold lands. If you try to leave, you're you are condemned to death everywhere in the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah. So yeah. I I again. You know, I could be wrong because I haven't read all of the supplementary materials, but I'm not aware of anybody doing anything bad enough. Okay. Um, in fact, I, I can think of some ancient Tar- – or not ancient, but 100-year-old Targaryen history where um, a political rival that supported the wrong family was sent to the uh, to the wall. So, yeah, okay. I, I, again, not that king killing is all that common, but that my take is that – that's why he was emphasizing punished accordingly and why he instantly said done. He wasn't expecting yeah, – yeah. ju- so basically it's kind of like when you're in a negotiation with someone and you make the first offer and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, let's do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody's an idiot. Uh, Either you offered way too much or that person's a fucking idiot. Tywin's not a fucking idiot. No, no, no. That's where I'm drawing this conclu- conclusion from. Okay. So they both give each other a word, which I have a question here in a minute. 
Uh, Jamie comes out and says, hey, I've brokered a deal. Uh, Tyrion is justifiably suspicious. Mm-hmm. And Jamie said, do you, look, do you trust me? And that's where we leave that. He only trusts him because of that fancy armor. I mean, look <laughs> at that fucking armor. That is cool armor. Yes. Not, the... Probably not very effective as it's gold. I mean, I sort of probably it's just go right through that. It's not fucking but... gold armor, dude. <laughs> it's gilded steel. I know. It's, it's actually. Just like his fucking hand. If I, if I put my book nerd on it, it's, it's enameled steel. It's, oh, supposed to be white. it's supposed to be white enamel. Uh, uh, well, it looks gold like right. the Lannister should. And it looks badass. Yes. Uh. <laughs> Anyway, the crown calls his next witness. It's Shay. Yeah, she says, "Hey, uh, I was nothing but his whore. He used my body. He stole me. I wasn't his in the first place." She's the only one who actually straight up fucking lies, right? I don't think so. What part? What part did she say that was untrue? I mean, well, it's I, very I don't remember the speech word for word. But she says that she waited in his chambers hours for him to use. She did wait well, in his chambers Well, she said hours. that they plotted together to kill the king. That she That is a lie. Out, you're right. You're she right. She flat out lied. That is a lie. That that last part, but 90% of what she said yes. is 100% true, especially but when But she's the consider... only one who does that. And that's the heartbreaking thing, I think, to Tyrion. Mm. Everybody else... Even people he doesn't trust or give a shit about... Right. ...at least didn't lie... And the one person who he loves lies about his activities there mm-hmm. and is the mm-hmm. only person to do that. That's a fucking slap in the face, if Indeed. anything is. Indeed. And that's why Tyrion returns that slap in the face talking about buying a thousand whores. Yeah, lying looking, whores. Looking, yeah, looking right at her when, she, when he says it. And the fact that I liked, again, directorial nod, and I'm sure this is probably in the script as well, but Cersei was sitting right beside her. Yeah. And he was addressing... Both of them kind of like they were in the same arc of fire because he uh-huh. said something about insulting a sister and then he insulted Shay. Yep. And uh, we're already talking about this. Um, <laughs> a lot of people say that this is Peter Dinklage's Emmy uh, sub- submission. And without seeing the rest of the season, it seems clear this would be the one you mail in because it's a big showy performance yeah. that he absolutely nails. And it takes a little preamble to explain Shay's relationship with Tyrion and stuff like that, but yeah. yes, and we it, it's interesting because as I've alluded to, the book has has gone off the path and kind of wandered in the woods, and there's changed motivations and characters. But this moment is another one of those things where the every once in a while the book and the show converge. This speech is pretty much straight out of the book, okay, and one of the great moments in in this series. And I think that Peter Dinklage did absolutely crush it yeah um yeah. With I... the rage the sorrow mm-hmm. the the impotence uh and yes. then you know in the end he rejects the offer to save his life out of spite mm-hmm. tries to take control and says hey i i, I want trial by combat it, an absolutely brilliant move that i think just completely befuddles tywin here. Didn't see it coming, especially he with did not. the especially with the meeting, and I think that's interesting because we of course know Cersei and Tywin knew about Shay because they discussed it during Jeffrey Joffrey's uh, wedding breakfast. Yeah, and Tywin asked to bring her to his tower. Sure. Then Bronn says that he got her and put her on the ship. Yeah. We still have an open question about how you know is Bronn did Bronn lie? Did Bronn turn? Did Bronn yeah. lie? Did Tywin somehow? find out about the plan and put the kibosh on it? Did he recall her from 
uh, Essos? What, so many questions. What's going on here? I also have a question as to why Shea betrays Tyrion. Uh, like I, I get why that do he you sent, think she did? I get because... that he sent her away in a huff and in a way that she thought was ridiculous. No, not just um, ridiculous. What he said was cruel to her. Yes, it was. It's 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 effectively. But she doesn't throwing... see the reason that she, that he did it at all. No, it's it's just. And like... I don't know if she's too dumb to see it or she just doesn't care. It's just so like when you see this is a trope where you've got a loyal animal companion to the hero, and the hero somehow has to make yeah yeah yeah, and then he throws it's rocks old yeller. At it. You got to yeah. put it down, or, or sure. you're throwing rocks <laughs> at the dog and saying "get away, get away." Yeah, this yeah. is kind of not to imply that she's a dog, no, uh, no. but doing that was it, it took something that vicious to make her leave him. Yeah, and you know it's thin line between love and hate. Is it? Is it really? I, I, okay. I, I've all, it's you're questioning a deeply rooted piece of pop culture yeah, wisdom. Yeah, I am. Yeah, pop culture wisdom is often bullshit. <laughs> no, I, I think <laughs> the thing is, the question is, do you believe that Shay believed that Tyrion meant those words? Because that's the question, I'm, yeah, as an audience member, we see why he's doing it. I think that she did. She thought it was sincere. She already thought that he tried to do this. With Varys, and now she's he's doing it to her face. But she couldn't see the pain in his face when he's telling her, the, calling her a whore, and I think he did a pretty good job of of making that performance. And again, I, I'm I'm also giving her the benefit of that because again, I think I think she's a terrible actress. I All still right. think she's a terrible actress. Okay, but I'm trying to put in thing details like you know maybe you know, she's seeing this through tear blurred eyes. Mm-hmm. And she's not seeing his face. He's just seeing what, you know, hearing the words. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, maybe she's, it's, so shocked she's, by it that... she's seeing his sorrow as maybe impatience and being, you know, uh, kind of like, I can't believe I have to spell this out for you, idiot. It, it was also a little bit of Shay thinking that they could just get away with what they've been doing. Right. Well, and she that Tyrion always... didn't need to do this. She never she... took the threat seriously. Exactly. Yeah. And so she's probably mad about that. And I do think that she's also, I don't think they portrayed her as especially insightful, astute. I mean, she's not an idiot and she's definitely worldly wise, but I don't, I think she's super ignorant of like the court politics. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know. And who knows what Tyrion, who knows what Tywin promised her or threatened her with. Or threatened her with. <laughs> we really don't know any of the answers to those questions. Yeah, definitely. But it did devastate Tyrion. And I the other thing is, what started this five-minute rant, is that I don't think Tywin... Tywin and Cersei's prejudice of Tyrion is he's just a whoremonger. Oh, yeah. He doesn't give a shit about any of these women. I don't think that they thought this would be as inflammatory as it was. Huh. I think Tywin's genuinely shocked that Tyrion threw all this away because of this confession. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it could be. So, anyway, uh, we end with the reigns of Castamere because, of course, they're like, what should we end with? Well, Baron Maiden Fair doesn't quite fit. <laughs> Do we have a rock version of Reigns of Castamere? Can Let's we put just, that in there? The, I think they, it, it's time to commission the Hodor version. <laughs> what what would that sound like? Just you know, uh, Hodor, All he can, yeah. Hodor, 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 and just you know, play it out like that. Sure, that, that would make me happy anyway. Me too. Yeah, but we get it's a funny. It's kind of an ironic rain 
because this is Lannister and Lannister violence. Yeah. True. Always tragic. Although, Jamie at this point, not part of the family, as far as Tywin's concerned. So let's talk about a couple other things. Some reaction shots. I thought it's very interesting okay. how they focused on Marjorie quite a bit during this trial. And whenever the necklace was mentioned, they went to her. Sure. And we know that she knows. Yeah. So that Tyrion is innocent because her grandma can't keep her mouth shut. Uh-huh. What do you knowing the what we know of, of Marjorie, what do you think that she's thinking when she's seeing this innocent man's life at risk? Because of her family's political ambitions. I think it's a little hard for her. I think she's feeling a little guilty. I thought I got that too, and I like that detail. And yeah. I wonder, I'm interested to see how that plays out moving forward. You know, she already sure. has a, you know, base level animosity towards Cersei and the mm -hmm. Lannisters in particular. Uh, and they, you know, they're obviously political rivals, but I, I think this might maybe make it a bit more personal. That, and she's also been groomed, apparently from childhood, to be, um, I don't know, to be this this very cunning, kind of perfect companion for a king or right. a lord or something by right. her mother. And I feel like there's a little bit of resentment brewing there mm. about being controlled in that way. Yeah. And now her seeing Tyrion, an innocent being affected directly by her actions that's got to add to it and i wonder if that is just going to keep picking at her conscience throughout the rest of this series and eventually she's going to decide that she doesn't want to be that anymore i don't know i i know you can't provide any insight and it's all very mildly interesting it is uh but it's interesting also that because people are like oh my god aaron's being pretty forthcoming about some stuff mm. uh They've really changed the particulars of how this is all coming about. Okay. And I think that when I'm speculating on things, it's kind of like uh, I'm doing so, and I kind of I know where it all ends, so I'm trying to not give away that stuff. But the details I like to talk about because I have no idea. Marjorie yeah, yeah. is a very minor character in the books who gets no POV, uh, and we really largely see her through the eyes of uh, Sansa and Cersei. Huh. Interesting. So... And she's just a very, you know, kind of a sketch of a character. And they've one of the things I think is really um, awesome is that they've really made her a living, breathing character in her own right in this show. Oh, yeah. Who has feelings and motivations that might be important to the plot. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of cool. Uh, another one, Jamie gets a lot of reaction shots. He does. The one most notable is when Cersei's talking about Tyrion's whoring. He has like this kind of look of um, dawning comprehension, or I don't, I don't know what to make of it. Is is Jamie just really slow, and he didn't know until just then that his family? But that that I, I don't understand what we why they uh, cut haven't to we him. seen Jamie bust in on Tyrion with whores? Oh, to Jamie in the first episode, Jamie time. busted in and said, "Here's three more." Yeah, yeah. Get it all over with. We got so, breakfast to eat, man. He certainly doesn't have a problem with Tyrion whoring around. Hell no, not a problem. Uh, I I feel like they cut to him when mostly when, when he Cersei talked was. about having whores in the castle, whores in his chambers. Okay, so maybe that's a little offensive 
to Jamie, although I felt like Jamie was very sympathetic to yes, hell at, yeah. at this trial. And he's the one, you know, giving up his I did, he was King's treasured guard for, status for Tyrion. He's Kingsguard for Bobby B. I mean, one of the most King's infamous for Bobby. B. Yeah, he's been oh, a Robert guy. Baratheon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, one of the most Bobby infamous. B, Jesus, one of the most infamous whorehounds in yeah, the yeah, seven, yeah. seven kingdoms. So sure. I don't think the idea that there's whores in the Red Keep was like, <laughs> oh my, away me to my fainting couch. <laughs> no, no, I've no. got the vapors. The, the reaction shots from Jamie are more sympathetic, sure. Yeah, um, I just wasn't sure exactly the you know, in, in such an expertly directed episode. I was unsure exactly what we're supposed to think, or maybe this is we're supposed to gather that this is a furthering of his relationship with Cersei. The fact that ooh that that he is disliking the fact that she's turning something that they all kind of knew about their brother and uh -huh. in, into some state's evidence thing. And that the full the full yeah, disgust and... he had for his father and his sister selling their own blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's part of it. I mean, he certainly sees his brother as his brother, not just some dwarf that to hate. Sure, um, probably the only one that does. And yes, I, I would Wait, believe. That I will for not sure. say probably. Definitely. definitely the only one. That yeah. Does. Um, and also, Jamie has committed some sexual crimes as well. Uh, you going there, huh? Cause I, I'm going I've, to the incest pool. Yeah. Oh, 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 okay. Sure. Sure. Cause I was like, I've, 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 uh, I've retconned the rape. Okay. No, I wasn't going there. I was going to the incest pool. Okay. Uh, Jamie probably understands that incest with his sister is a little worse than whoring around in the castle. Well, from common perception, sure. Yes. I mean, he certainly doesn't view their relationship as anything that's too wrong because he's still pursuing it. Yeah. Um, but this all leads me, like all these reaction shots with Jamie lead me to the idea that Jamie's going to be the one to stand in for him. That's in trial one thing by I combat. want to talk about. We um, have to talk about trial by combat. Because that's, I stood up and yelled, I like screamed, just, yes, this is what I fucking wanted. Okay. From the moment. I saw Braun defend him in the near the moon pool. Right, the moon door. <laughs> the moon door. Chekhov's moon door. Uh, I've wanted to see this again. Let's wait till we get to let's let's talk about this at the end of the feedback because we okay. actually have. I, I know we got some potential matchups, uh, and I want to consider those, and then we can talk about it. Kind of if if there's any stone left unturned from your perspective, we can talk about it at the end of that. Okay. Uh, anything else to talk about the episode, or should we get to pimping? I think that's it. We are proud to be sponsored by Hover at Hover.com. You know, there's a lot of places you can go and register domain names at nowadays. There's companies that advertise on the Super Bowl and don't give a shit about privacy. And then there's places like Hover. Hover doesn't believe in heavy-handed upselling or charging you for something that should just be there. A lot of places, you'll get halfway through the shopping cart experience thinking you're getting a low price. And, oh, you need privacy for your domain. Mm -hmm. That's two ninety nine. You want it to be secure. That's an extra 4 bucks. They nickel and dime you. Yep. Hover knows you need that stuff, and they put it in there at their low price. Also, they pride themselves on service and support. Do you have a problem? You pick up the phone. You talk to a real-life person. No automated ticketing system. No confusing dialing on your touchpad numbers to get a person to help you out. And you know, Jim and I wouldn't send you to some place that we haven't tried ourselves. We've transferred a few of our domains over to Hover. We really liked their system. We tried their valet service where we used that real live person to hold our hands and walk us through the procedure. Couldn't be easier. We couldn't be more thrilled at the service. 
Bottom line is the people that know their stuff recommend Hover. Jim and I are such people, and we're recommending Hover to you. Go to Hover.com, and you can use our exclusive Bald Move promo code, IRONBANK, to get 10% off your first order. Let's move on. Lots of other ways to support Bald Move. Uh, of course, you can go to baldmove.com and click the support tag if you'd like to hear about that. Uh, but I've spent a lot of time on Hover, and uh, let's move on to feedback. Okay, sounds good. First up, Barrett R. said, I want to disagree with the take on Jon Snow's fight being reduced or diminished. This is from previous Last weeks. episode, yeah. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. Okay. Being reduced or diminished by his needing help from one of Craster's women. You guys suggested it's hard to view Jon Snow as a badass or legitimate leader in the making if he can't take down the hibachi chef of Jin Alley. <laughs> I think that it would have been miffed if the opposite had happened. If we'd waited three and a half seasons to really see Jon fight outside of a training ground, he just made quick work of his opponent. Jon ho- holding his own but ultimately needing a little help is a hallmark of his character. Yeah. Is needed right. assistant, he has needed assistance from Sam, from Egret, from Corrin Halfhand, from Mormon, uh, uh, Jor Mormont, the bear, and more to really get where he is. I think taking initiative to lead but still having lessons to learn makes him a compelling character. I completely agree. It seems like there are very few characters, I guess, who are really evolving and growing, and Jon Snow is one of them. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, to have him be a master. I mean, we know he's a good swordsman. Yeah. He showed that at Castle Black. Plus, I think it also ties into Oberon's statement early on about how long swords are bad in close quarters. Okay, yeah. So you got a long, you got a Valerian steel longsword and this uh, wigwam thing, uh-huh. and you're fighting a guy with two hibachi chef knives yeah <laughs> maybe he has a slight advantage aka daggers yeah sure if you're fighting in the yard at castle black i think uh you know he would have been uh, gone in there and disarmed at least one of those right away because he's all about disarming people wielding, dual sure. wielding weapons knows how to fight wildlings yeah uh so yeah i like that take thank you barrett mark t said didn't sam give them his cash them referring to uh uh brand and company his okay. cache of dragon glass weapons last season, a bunch of daggers and arrowheads, I believe. Since they got captured, do they still have these? Your opinion, Jim? Hmm. I assume when you capture someone, you pat them down. Right. Uh, you take away all their possessions. Right. I, I doubt they still have them. Didn't seem like they had time to really grab anything. They you just know, ran out. if there's something important you don't want people to find, there's only one place you can hide an obsidian <laughs> oh. dragon glass arrowhead. That they'll never find Jim. Oof. And Hodor seems like he has a several <laughs> dagger and arrowhead capacity. That's all I'm saying. Mm. I, I'm going to appeal to the laws of uh, dramatic fiction and say that if it's important for these guys to have, and apparently it is, mm-hmm. and we didn't see them get any taken, that we can assume that it's still on their person somehow. What a bunch of idiots the mutineers are then. <laughs> Or maybe it's, uh, I don't know, man. Maybe uh, they went back for it after it finished burning to the ground. It's Dragon Glass. Was going to do melt more? Uh, no, I mean, the fire would certainly wouldn't destroy it. Uh, but Jon Snow is there, mm. and he wanted to desperately to avoid his brother seeing him so he could go north. I, I don't know that he'd stick around. Yeah, I don't know either because, again, this didn't happen in the books. None of this happened in the books. Okay. So I have no fucking clue where they're going with this. All right, well, well, we'll probably see more of the dragon glass, at least a mention of, oh, shit, we don't have the dragon glass. <laughs> Wish we did. Yeah. 
<laughs> we have this. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Mildly interesting, Jim. Jessim, uh, you had brought up how Brienne didn't want to accept Podrick's help in taking off her armor because maybe it was an intimate issue, mm. or if it was instead Jamie trying to help, or if instead it was Jamie that she would have had no problem letting him. I don't think it was this at all. I think it is more to her being an independent woman. Yeah, yeah. Beyonce style. Being an independent woman myself, I took this as if she didn't, I should say Jess style. I didn't take, I took this as she didn't feel comfortable accepting help. That by accepting Patrick's help would feel like a weakness undermining her independence. Um, I don't have a problem with that. Neither do I. I mean, it, she's been a very independent woman. Um, I do wonder how Podrick's tale of killing Tyrion's would-be assassin softens that, though. If it's a trust and intimacy issue, then that seems like it makes more sense. Yeah, intimacy is not necessarily the word I would go with. I guess trust, like you said, is a better one. She just well, doesn't trust Podrick. in the fucking sense of the word. I'm talking about... Okay. All right. You know, like uh, a valet, a personal valet. Some people, I, I'd be super uncomfortable if a, a gentleman's gentleman was helping me into my clothes. <laughs> I'd be like, dude, I've been doing this for 31, 35, on. 34 of my 37 years on this planet. I don't, you know, you'd be very kind of offensive. Whereas, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, a girlfriend, say, helping me into my jacket would be all right. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Tack L. Our infamous player of the name of games. Oh yes! All right. <laughs> the, How many do we have the this game week? of names? Uh, Is it less than a hundred? It's okay. less than a hundred. <laughs> okay, good. We have two hundred and twelve. <laughs> Laws of Gods and Men. Number one, Westeros is run by blood. The Iron Bank is run by numbers. It's the mm. law of the land. Number two, Danny Marine is still figuring out what her laws should be. Well, she'd be governed by mercy or justice. Okay, by that. Number three, Reek is scared of breaking Ramsey's law. Okay, that's a law of men. Shapes Where's the gods? It's starting to fall apart. Okay. At number three this week. Tyrion's trial <laughs> by men, governed by the laws of men. Okay, Fuck. and he calls upon the laws of gods Boom, to get him out of it. Boom, number five. Okay. He brought it all the way around. All right, good. He also says, uh, he's branching out from his game of game of names. He says, on a side note, season four is echoing a lot of season one. The Baelish love interests... Tyrion getting arrested. Bravos uh, had a Syri with the connection with Syria in season one, and now the parallel of Theon uh, serving the Northmen. Back in season one, he was serving the Starks, uh, which also I'm not sure a lot of people picked up on, but that was against his will. He was literally a hostage. Sure, but being... but then he kind of like fell into the role. No, and... he was. He, I mean, Ned's a good guy, so he wasn't yeah. like uh, you know. Tomorrow I might have to take your head off. And he he almost felt like he was Robertson family. Though, oh yeah, of as well. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a weird situation there. More so than the Greyjoys, but anyway. Yeah. Back in season one, he's serving the Starks. In season four, he's now serving the Boltons. The irony is he's more loyal to the Boltons than to the Starks, who treated him like one of their own. <laughs> so you got to treat a Kraken, I guess. Can't show him love and mercy. You got to show him the whip mm. and the prick cleaver. <laughs> I think that's the technical <laughs> term. Okay, the prick cleaver. <laughs> the prick cleaver. Sounds like something that Joffrey'd name one of his blades. Jonathan yep. A. says, Am I the only one who wishes there's more references to the remaining Dothraki and Danny's army? I know most of them were hmm. slaughtered in Quarth at the end of season two, but there's still a few Dothraki left. I know it's Karth. I know. I yeah. just make it fun. Okay. Uh, because there were people who carried the dragon cage to make the trade in Astapor for the Unsullied, and these were Dothraki. Uh, would you like to see a little bit more of the Dothraki? Whoa, honor? whoa, whoa. whoa you got to go back on that last statement. People carrying a dragon cage? I have no idea what you're talking about. 
yeah, when you, you remember to save money, the dragons used to save CGI dollars. The dragons used to be ca- carried around in a big like litter, you know, a big boxy cage where people okay, people when had they poles, were like really they're, like small. they're carrying the yeah, tabernacle, yeah. like the Ark of the Covenant, you know, okay, sure. Nazi style. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, uh, probably actually ancient Jewish style. And the Nazis were just copying it. I don't know. I'm not a Jewish historian. <laughs> now that you mention it, yes, I remember it. Okay, before you mentioned it, no, I did not. <laughs> so he mentioning that as of last season. Uh, the Dothraki kind of honor guard, the former remnants of her Kalasar, yeah. was the one carrying that. We haven't seen hide nor hair of anybody. Like, it seems sure. like Miss Sandy has completely taken that role, and we are not seeing any of those people. Does mm-hmm. that bother you? It doesn't really bother me. No, not so much. I know there were very few of them, and other people have come into her uh, her circle. More so than the Dothraki. To me, it's it's a it's a economy of characters. In the books, they remain yeah. an important part of her. Oh God! And if if Game of Thrones is known for anything, it's economy of characters. Well, I mean, Can I... we need as few characters as possible in this universe. <laughs> I'm saying it could be worse. It's 150. <laughs> okay. It could be 300. Easy. Ugh. Uh, moving on to Josh C. During the small council meeting, it was mentioned that Jorah was supposed to be spying on Danny. I don't recall this ever being hinted at in the first three seasons. They seem to yeah. shoot it down during a small council meeting. What? You're agreeing with this? Yeah, I don't remember Both it being... Both of you, ignorant sluts. Okay, sure. Do you think this could come into play in the future as Jorah actually completely committed to his queen? They strongly imply, if not outright state, that Jorah is the contact that Varys has inside Danny's tr- camp when he's informing on her in the small council sessions in season one. Aha! So is that where the letter is going? And that's also, that's also how uh, the... No. No. It's also how they uh, he knew about the poison and was able to protect her from it. So this is one of Varys' birds? Former birds. They they made it clear that he is now he's okay. no longer informing. So that's why right. I say that there's no way that he's uh, uh, going to be the informant uh, in this point. Could there be? Uh, I don't know. Could they sway him from Danny? Doesn't feel like it, right? No, it it really doesn't. I mean, he's in love with her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we saw that in what season two. It's been a while. But could there be questionable loyalties elsewhere in Danny's camp? Like who? I mean, Sir Barristan fucking hates the king at this right. point, and and the whole family, whole Lannister family. Uh, Jorel does <laughs> Jorah at this point is in love with Danny. Uh, the Unsullied guy, he has no reason to turn on her. No, he as freed as him as long as he's allowed to kill the masters every once in a while. Yeah, she freed him. Why? And his whole pack of dudes. Why would he do that? All I don't right. see anybody very close to Danny except. Who knows? Dario is up in the air. He's a wild card. Dario's a scoundrel, for sure. Yeah. Uh, mild interest all around. Let's move on to Jim H. Unless you had another comment, I want to cut you off. No, I, I was just going to say that Dario's kind of a sellsword. I mean, that's what he started he out as. He's kind of a sellsword. He is yeah. a sellsword. Who then turned on his fellow sellswords and pledged his allegiance to Danny. It's That's a strange he's relationship. He's still getting... And, and also... Did he do that because he was convinced that that was a losing battle? And this Probably. was a, fi- a financial transaction? I mean, sure. presumably they're still getting paid. Yeah. Because I don't care how much he loves uh, Daenerys. Uh, the other 2,000 second sons want to get paid. Yeah, yeah. 
Jim H said, how is it that Danny knows about the happenings at King's Landing so quickly? Joffrey's death is in episode two, and she's aware of it in episode five. My brother-in-law reads the books and says a massive sea divides them. Are ravens making that flight? I don't see how news could get to her so quickly. I wouldn't describe the narrow sea as massive. It uh, is named the narrow, the narrow sea. sea. <laughs> I think if I that I would kind of it's I don't know because Martin's famously bad at scaling things. But I was looking at a map of Westeros before this episode, and like they say that the the wall is three hundred miles long. The narrow sea at its widest point seems about half as wide as that. Mm-hmm. So 150 miles is not nothing by boat and conceivably something a raven could fly. Yeah. Uh, and if we're, it's roughly as far a distance for news to travel back to King's Landing from the hounds goings on. Uh-huh. So, and that's roughly the same point in time. So I don't have a problem at all with her being able to get information that quickly. Especially news of this kind. Yeah, and every the, fucking the Iron boat, Bank has it. Every I, fucking boat leaving Westeros is going to tell tales of this stuff arriving on Essos. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm okay with it too. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this person's name, but I want to take a stab at it. It's Gilu- Gilaum? Guillaume. We talked to him oh, on fuck, the phone. He's right. one of our Kickstarter backers. Shit. Yeah, well, that, I'm notorious for mispronouncing <laughs> stuff. You are. You are. Guillaume. Uh, Davos clearly convinced him to help their cause, but what keeps Tywin or any other super big shot of Westeros from just taking over the bank? I read that they're so Ooh. rich that if you don't pay them, they will support other people to rise against you. But in a world where torture and killing is as common as eating, what's keeping a big shot like Tywin to go Theon on their leaders and torture them until they reveal all their secrets? If Ty- mm. Is Tywin's army strong enough to pierce their defenses? It's not like it's been established that the Iron Bank has 300 dragons flying around their gold at all times where they have an army of like one gazillion soldiers. And Tywin clearly states in the last episode that he would not double cross them. What do you think, Jim? That's interesting. I hadn't thought about. I mean, he, he would presumably have to keep the people in charge in charge. Right. But just influence them by force to do what he wants them to do. Because uh, he certainly doesn't have the experience or the men with experience to run the Iron Bank. Uh-huh. Uh, as evidenced by how poorly they've spent their money. They're too big to fail. <laughs> Even if they're attacked by dragons? Too big to fail. <laughs> uh, so hmm. here's my thought. Uh, it's always, and this is some book backgrounds. If you consider it spoilers, I don't know what to do about it because it's not germane to the plot. Okay, I'm just telling you. I'm just okay. telling you why this isn't happening. Number one, uh, the Bravos is super rich and super powerful. They have a lot of fighting dudes themselves. They're in this. I don't, okay. They're in this very sheltered harbor where you have to go through this choke point. That's the Titan. Sure. And the Titan of Bravos in the books is not just decoration. It actually is hollow, and its skirt is uh, not only does it contain the largest set of brass balls in in, in the Seven Kingdoms and oh, entire God. Planetos, uh-huh. but it also has like hundreds of murder holes where defenders can drop pitch and boiling it's gonna tar, take a shit on whatever comes and molten through there. metal on any ship that tries to go through, setting it ablaze. Wow! And also, right inside the harbor is what they call the Citadel, mm-hmm. which is this vast port that holds tons of war galleys and in fact they say the bravos can build one war galley a day wow they have probably it's it's always been my thought that they have the most powerful navy on the whole planetos okay so they 
it's, it's a fool's errand to go after Bravos. Yes, yes. Um, one would one one could actually, with all these facts, postulate why they haven't taken over more things. Why they're they're content to sit back, you know, in their Venice style city that's armed to the teeth and mm-hmm. has all these defensive capabilities. Uh, maybe that's the the whole key. They'd rather make money and stack up stacks, and they just they they yeah. don't have any ambitions on just getting richer. But we know that that influ that money is not power. Power is power. Yep. So they have power. Why aren't they using it? Well, huh. some would say they are. I mean, they are sure. affecting in a major way the politics of Westeros as it is. But they're using Littlefinger esque tactics, not Cersei esque sure. tactics. Right. Uh, not very, very few invasions going because the narrow sea, while narrow, I guess it 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 is hard to get vast amount of troops across. That's been Danny's sure. problem the whole time. Need a bunch of ships. Need a bunch of ships, and uh, so yeah. Anyway, I hope that answers the question, and hope I didn't piss off anybody with spoilers. Uh, Mister Rock and Rock says, Aaron, you speculated Bronn may have switched allegiances. This may be true. We know he's a sellsword with no scruples. Even infanticide has its price." And Tywin and Cersei can easily be the highest bidder. Then we saw Shay was uh, the last time we saw Shay was at Joffrey's wedding breakfast ceremony. Cersei was pointing her out to Tywin, who asked if she'd be brought to the Tower of the Hand before the wedding. Hmm. This yeah. could have been where Tywin got to her. If this happened, the case can be made for Tywin's complicity in the regicide, which I've never put beyond him. Without going down that road, I can at least assume that Shay could have been detained and then turned state witnesses after events unfolded. Interesting here to me is perhaps Tywin having a hand in the death of Joffrey. Do you yeah. buy that? I do not buy it at all. I don't buy it either. Uh, it seemed like he reasons. had Joffrey in his pocket. I, now I don't he know that not... he did, but I think he firmly believed he did. Yeah, that he yeah. could control and bring this kid, this boy king to heel. Sure. And now uh, I think he has to understand the influence that Marjorie would have on Tommen and that he would not have as much influence on Tommen. Interesting that he does seem kind of blind to that. Yeah, I mean, it's after the fact. I mean, if he was going to kill Joffrey, I don't know. It seems like he thought he could control Tommen better than Joffrey, so... Right. Maybe? Meh. Matt L says, Tywin obviously had the Jaime and Tyrion uh, thing. And, oh, whoa, whoa, we got some dry pie here. Oh, some boy. dry pie. Sorry about that. Wash it down with some wine. <laughs> Victor says, I'm assuming Tywin knew the next witness would be Shay. If so, he had to have known Tyrion wouldn't take too kindly to what she was about to say. Uh, if he really wanted Jamie to leave the Kingsguard, wouldn't it be a better move here for Tywin to have not called Shay as a witness? We actually talked about this at the end. Maybe it's a little instance of dry pie. Um, and we talked about Jamie's reaction to that, so mm-hmm. moving on to Jeremy in Australia. I haven't read any of the books, but I'm hoping, nay praying to the seven gods, that Tyrion chooses Bronn as a trial by combat champion. And he has to square off against Jamie, which uh, would be a great payoff to all the Braun and Jamie sparring lessons. That I does seem I, delicious and mildly interesting. Jim, what say you? If anything, I see it going the other way. I see Jamie, now that the deal is probably off with uh, him, you know, coming back into the family, tearing going to the wall. Uh, I see Jamie fighting. For Tyrion, Tyrion. volunteering, yeah. and Bronn saying, "Fuck it, I'll, I'll, uh, I, I can I being, beat this guy silly." Bronn being bought, yeah, and thinking that he can easily defeat Jamie, but maybe that's not the case. When you got some passion on the line, yeah, it's all fun and games when you're just practicing, yeah, mildly interesting. And, and it would be fitting, or, or not, not necessarily fitting, but it would be cool to see Jamie use the tricks that Bronn has taught him 
against Braun to save Tyrion. I, I think, anyway. Eddie C. says, George R. R. Martin says he doesn't really like happy endings, but with the fan base of the show increasing every week, do you think the Double Ds could influence the way he originally wanted to end the series? What do you uh, think, Jim? I, I know that George has told them the ending of the series and kind of explained to him how he wants everything to end up. Yep. I don't think that they are... I don't think that they're going to betray that trust. I, I think they'll take what he wants to do with the books. And if they catch up to him and, and pass him in the timeline, they'll probably be true to that. The only thing that would go for that theory is if you speculated that the fans of the show wanted a happy ending. And I don't know that HBO viewers <laughs> and Game of Thrones fans do. I think that yeah, I've heard that, that George R. R. Martin has described the ending as bittersweet. Okay. Which could mean lots of things. And I think in HBO's um, body of work, there's a lot of things that are bittersweet. The way The Wire ended, you know, they had individual moments of triumph, but the system was still the system and Baltimore was still a hellhole. Um, Sopranos. Yeah. Uh, even, uh, I mean, true. I don't Like I said, I, I don't want to talk about too much current stuff because uh, we start getting to spoiler territory. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think that, I don't want a happy ending. I don't want a fairy tale ending. I want no. a satis I want an emotionally satisfying ending, which can mean a lot of different things. Sure, and and it's different for different characters. I don't want a happy ending for Tywin. Right. Come on, who wants that? And, and, uh, and also, I think that the Double Ds have a great deal of respect for Martin and his work, and they're yeah, you yeah. could describe them as fanboys. This is their dream project. Good. And I think that they would not even think. And in fact, that would be probably a bad thing from a fan perspective if there was a outright war between the creators saying these guys are disrespecting my shit. Yeah. And the people <laughs> adapting his series. It's already a ticklish subject about them jumping ahead of him. Sure. But it seems like there's a trust there. If he's willing to give yes. them the ending as he sees it, he knows that they're not going to betray that trust and right. just completely fuck it up. And I have no idea what the contract terms are. Like if there's some like legal teeth behind any of this, but. Uh huh. Uh, moving on, Christian D says, what's the most amount of money you would pay for the next two books to read in advance? And what's the most outrageous thing you'd do to get the next two books? I've read none of the books, yeah, so I would don't... pay $0 to read I the last two. I was just discussing this last night, and I don't have a burning need to see, because I just finished reading Dance of Dragons like three, four months ago. Okay. I would pay upwards of hundreds of dollars to get an advanced copy Winds of Winter. Um mm -hmm. and probably hundreds of dollars more to get the same of uh, a Dream of Sp Spring if I could just, you know, steamroll right through it in their finished works. As far as weird shit, I, I mean, what do you want me to say? I'd let, I I I'm somewhere but so I'm 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 somewhere I I I wouldn't let George R. R. Martin suck my dick for it. Okay. <laughs> Okay. And you certainly wouldn't suck his. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's there's... right. That implies that. Uh-huh. Sure. So uh that so, so I'm trying to think of what other weird thing would I do? Like would I <laughs> take nude pictures of myself and post them on the internet? No. <laughs> I wouldn't do anything to to influence my future happiness or or livelihood. So Okay. Actually hundreds of dollars I think is 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 sufficient. I wouldn't punch a baby. No? No. Just smack a baby? 
Mm, nah, I probably wouldn't smack a baby. <laughs> Not in my nature. Uh, moving on, Rob R. says, During the trial at the 4716 mark, Tywin calls Tyrion by his name. Tyrion, do you wish to confess? He then refers to calling him the prisoner right before Tyrion demands a trial by combat. Maybe I'm not remembering correctly, but I don't remember Tywin saying his name to his face ever. Uh, that's... I don't have a, uh, a, a photographic memory for all the in instances, but it does seem like he refers to him in more or less flattering terms. I don't, I, I, I guess that I don't have a read on that either way. Okay. Neither you, do I. No. Okay. That's it for the feedback. If you'd like to send us more, you can do it at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Of course, you can follow, uh, you can get at Jim at Twitter at baldmove. Please, no spoilers to Jim. Uh, let's help uh, keep him unsullied. And you can also talk to me on facebook.com slash baldmove. Uh, private message me any spoiler you want, but please keep the public forums uh, spoiler free. Let's again, preserve the unsullied status of the non-book readers. If you would like to, uh, get yourself all sullied up, you can join me after our uh, theme music to, uh, beyond the wall of spoiler music to the spoiler section. God, I'm having a rough transition here. It's okay. You've also forgot to mention the email, didn't you? I did that right up front. Maybe Ball, did that up front. Game yeah. of Thrones at baldmove.com. Not paying attention. <laughs> you just tone out. I do. Tune yeah. out. I've heard this 373 exactly. times. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we're going to be discussing some hardcore spoilers and, of course, the tinfoil theory of the week. Got a good one for oh, you. Oh, yeah. Uh, building on last week's section. I'm going to have to go back and listen to all of these once this podcast is over. I, I, I'm having a ball, man. Because people are raving about it. We talk so much great. shit about you. Oh, my God. <laughs> so much shit. It starts off every week, 10 minutes. It's, just a t it's, a ten, it's like the two-minute hate of 1984 <laughs> blown out to a 10 minutes. Yeah, we just awesome. get all of it out. Uh, so join me in that if you'd like to. If not, we will see you Sunday night for our instant take of the next episode called Mockingbird. Holy shit, who could Mockingbird be about? Uh, until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Joffrey, Cersei, Hill and Pain and Hound. They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm found. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond, and my bond is my word. Valar to Harris, all men must serve. See as a raven flies, and time slips by. Valar, my rulers, all men must die. All right, welcome to the spoiler section. Got lots to talk about this week, so let's get right to it. Carlos P. says, I was hoping you can speak to the brand storyline. I've been enlightened by your previous conversations about White Walkers, the Night's King, and a lot of time that has passed from then to now. I just read the last brand chapter in Dance. When he slips his skin and enters the Weirwood, he sees the past and more of the past, so much so that he sees young Weirwoods and trees shrinking to nothing. Here's a tinfoil theory. What if Bran will slash can see so far back to the time of the last hero and the Night King? I've always thought Bran's storyline was important, but after your thoughts on time and the Night King, maybe it's way more important than I thought. I think you're onto something here, Carlos. In fact, one of my fears, because I find that I'm a worrier about probably about things I shouldn't, one of my big fears of the series is that Bran's warging slash weirwood seeing ability is going to be used as a crutch to get GRRM out of a lot of scrapes. How are we going to meet Howland Reed? How is the pro, uh, how is the common R plus L equals J theory going to be confirmed if not using him? Well, Bran can actually warg back in time and see the Battle of the Tower of Joy. 
He can go back in time and see the Night King. He can go back and see uh, the previous uh, Long Night and how humankind defeated the White Walkers slash the others. He can do about anything. There, one of popular theory is that he's going to end up warging into one of the dragons to be literally one of the dragon's third heads. He's so much. He's just so powerful. In fact, I think he might be the most powerful warging slash green seer ever because the blood raven, the last green seer, implies that you can't really communicate through the weirwood technology. That you can go back and see the past, but you can't really influence it yet. We've seen on a couple occasions where in the novels it's strongly implied that Bran can interact with those visions. For example, he goes back in time to see Ned uh, meditating before the Weirwood tree. In fact, he might have been washing ice of some blood. Uh, he could have been sharpening it, I'm not sure. But he looks up as if he's aware Bran is saying things, and he looks up sharply as if he realizes someone's there. The other is when Theon, in one of the Winterfell chapters, is in the Weirwood, and he can hear faintly his name being called. Now, there's a couple ways to explain away both of these things. Number one, Ned could have just been aware of a presence, and that would be be unable to actually interact with him, but he can be aware that there's some intelligence because he's one of the blood of the first men, and he's got some sort of innate Stark connection well and good and theon is crazy one of my favorite tinfoil theories that we haven't got to yet is uh, outlines the fact that theon is in fact the ghost of winterfell he's the one that's he's having a psychotic break a series of psychotic breaks where he loses track of time there's one passage where he's observing men have breakfast and then the very next sentence he's talking about them coming into lunch uh he's got a very tenuous grasp on reality that he could actually be having some kind of split personality type disorder where he becomes this other thing person and he goes and kills people and then he comes back and he's reek. So I think there is something to that. Uh, again, if anything, I'm worried that it might become too much of a crutch for Martin, but we'll have to see. Javon W says you may or may not be familiar with the Taiwan was poisoned by Oberon theory. But if not, it basically goes that while Oberon wants to kill the mountain to avenge Elia, he himself says that if the mountain had acted, he was acting under Tywin's orders and would therefore want to kill Tywin arguably more than Gregor. When Tywin, Tyrion finds Tywin on the toilet, apparently constipated for days, the theory posits that this is because Oberon's poison. It's relevant in this episode because I noticed that in a scene with Tywin eating and drinking wine in Oberon's presence, an eating scene is not easy, at least uh, more difficult than it was uh, than if it's just been a talking scene because they have to adjust the food for continuity. Chuck D has to act with food in his mouth, etc. Why go through the extra work if it was not important? Tywin eating and drinking this episode must have significance, probably supporting his poisoning by Oberon. I researched some more, and a poison was the widow's blood, which was mentioned to be missing from Pycelle's stores. The poison shuts down the bladder and bowels until the body dies of its own poisons. Another piece of evidence that you didn't mention is during Tywin's funeral that the body seemed to be unnaturally putrefying, almost as if it had been begun rotting before he had actually died. Cersei, in fact, gets really pissed at Grandmeister Pycelle because she accuses him of not doing the preparation of the corpse correctly, not following whatever Westerosi burial customs and, and embalming 
that does preserve the corpse. And it was a, it became a debacle at court, how bad the body stank and how there was this sickly fluid that started seeping out and pooling up in his armor and on his, uh, uh, burial stand and how people couldn't be stand to be in the room and not, you know, want to vomit. I think that's a pretty strong theory. I don't know if they're going to go there in the show. And here's the thing. Here's the thing I don't like about this theory. I believe that Prince Oberon was with his brother, the Prince of Dorne, uh, Prince Doran, with the plot, the long con plot to marry off one of their young princes to Daenerys and conquer the Lannisters that, that there's a secret marriage alliance pact between the Targaryens and the Dorn, the Dornish that goes back at least since the time of Robert's rebellion and that Oberyn, uh, their, their plan was to bring Tywin to his lowest point possible, take everything from him and only then at the end kill him. And there is a fantastic scene where he, lays this out to his daughter that thinks that Prince Doran is too slow and gouty and too timid to seek revenge, and he really lays out his whole plot. I don't think that Oberon would risk that whole plot and the deliciousness of it execution just to poison Tywin to have that momentary, you know, kind of satisfaction that he had killed the man without first bringing him low because at the time if people at the time the people posited that he poisoned him in the books at least joffrey was still alive so none of this kind of debacle had happened and the lannisters were still firmly in control of the iron throne even in the show uh, if anything joffrey dying you could argue is a net good for lannisters because tommen is going to be more easy to control by the time he takes kinghood he's probably going to be a better king and tywin can have a chance to mold him and raise him up to be a good leader so that's the only problem with it it doesn't jibe with the overall arc that the martells had to get their revenge on the lannisters so i get you know people say well oberon does what oberon wants to do but i think he did buy into uh his brother's plan his brother's his uh, plot kevin in canada says a few spoiler thoughts after tonight's episode so Balin Greyjoy's death watch now enters episode seven. When, if at all, do you think he will die? Will they push it next season and actually do the moot storyline? The King's moot. I've been on record of not really giving a shit what goes on with the Ironborn. I don't like their house. I don't like their people. I don't like many of their characters. So I'm not really got my finger on the pulse of this one. I also think that if they so chose, they could completely dispense with the King's moot plot. But, like I saw talked about last week, I think that there might be some important piece between Yara slash Asha, Asha and Theon having to do with that plot, so maybe they won't. And also, my God, they're just galloping through these books. I used to think they'd take the King's Mood out because it's kind of irrelevant, and you could economy of characters, get rid of several characters, and simplify that plot line greatly by just omitting it and having the same outcome. However... The problem with that is I don't see how they stay out of the winds of winter next year if they do that way. Because right now we're really going through almost all of the Storm of Swords material. We're going through a lot of Feast material. And we're getting into a lot of the Dance material. I think that they're going to end this season. My prediction is that Danny's going to chain her dragons. 
Lady Stoneheart is going to reveal herself, and Tyrion is going to uh, put the bolt through Tywin, and that Bran is going to find the children of the forest. That's why I think the last episode is is called Children. It all has that theme: Danny chaining her children, Tywin's child rebel children. Really, if you put Jamie in there too, rebelling against him, Bran finding the children. Uh, I think all that stuff is is going to be in the final episode. That is pretty far along the plot line. So maybe they will have the king's moot. We know Balon will die. He's the only usurper that hasn't, you know, that that they burnt the leech to that hasn't. Uh, is a very minor plot point in the book. They basically kicked off the king's moot. I really have no idea. I have no sense of when they're going to br- uh, bring that in. And again, it's not one that I'm super excited. So if I I think if we see it, it'll be something that kicks off next year's event. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't know what they're going to do with Yara for the rest of the year. Maybe they'll shelve her. And we know with Theon's got quite a bit to do, but we'll see. Uh, Kevin continues, in the books, Barristan outs Jorah's betrayal from the episode, uh, but from this episode during the council meeting, Tywin calls for quill and parchment. After a conversation about Danny, I'm 100% confident that it will include outing Jorah. Thoughts? I really like this theory. It neatly explains a alternate path from from force being used and everyone of the council was very adamant about how two seasoned warriors advising her is a bad thing. So what better to do than to drop a note to Khaleesi to Daenerys and say, Hey, one of your trusted advisors is a traitor and that's going to sow discord within her ranks. It's going to make her doubt herself. I think it's a very strong possibility. The other thing about Varys's birds winding their way I wonder if that's going to be how they simplify the explanation for the the harpies and the sons of the harpies. Because I got to say, Hisdar was a lot less douchey and asshole in this series than he was in the books. And I think having Tywin be behind the, harp, the sons of the harpies is going to be easier than explaining to the audience all the various blood ties and history of you know, the Discari descendants and the the richness of the masters and why they're rebelling against slaves. But they've also laid the frame the, the framework for that, too. So one of our theories is going to be correct, and yours is just as like as any, Kevin. Finally, says, last in your tinfoil theory about Roose Bolton being a vampire, something struck me. It could be nothing, but George R. R. Martin has written a vampire novel called Fever Dream. He's gone in this field before, and some of the mannerisms and descriptions between Roos and some of his vampires in the novel are comparable. I suggest reading it. It's a good read. Well, if you want to take your Roos's loose bolt-on to, directly to the forehead theory knowledge to the next level, uh, check that out. It's called Fever Dream, written by George Martin. Rob R. says, I'm a book reader, and I found it really interesting that you pointed out. The story is relatively the same, but the mechanics of how they go about it is often different. For example, Shay's motivation to testify against Tyrion in the book was sort of monetary, but in the show it's more like revenge for her being sent off by Tyrion. I'm wondering how they're going to go about the escape scene and if Tyrion will find Shay in his father's bed before killing him. It would kind of blur her new show's motivations. I'm really excited you asked this question, Rob, because I have a theory that I've come up all on my own. I haven't seen it in Reddit or anywhere yet. I might post it to Reddit after I get done with the show tonight. Here it goes. Tywin wanted Shay brought to his quarters even before it was known that you know she was going to turn state's evidence and testify against 
the you know murdering Joffrey in his trial. What if Tywin wanted to kill Shay himself to either humiliate Tyrion or to put him off horse for good? I don't know. Uh, or whether he's got some of Joffrey inside him that we just haven't seen yet. What if, because a lot of people are saying, okay, Tyrion caused this whole thing with Shay. Shay loved him in this story. I don't think she ever loved him in the book version. I think she very much was a whore that wanted nice things. And as soon as Tyrion could stop providing these, she switched to another money, money stream. Had no problems jumping in Tywin's bed. Tyrion finds him, of course, and murders them both in great in, in rage and grief. If Tyrion does that in this storyline, he's going to be look like a real asshole. And I know he goes into some dark territory in Dance with Dragons, and he kind of becomes less likable. But damn, to strangle Shay in this universe would be very brutal. So I'm thinking, what if Tyrion walks into the Hand's Chambers and finds his father either just getting done killing Shay or may, or uh, is in the act of strangling Shay and he stops it, but it's too late. She dies in his arms or she dies. Tyrion still kills Lord Tywin. We have Tyrion still be somewhat of a tragic hero, not an asshole. Tywin is even more of an asshole. And we feel a lot better about the patricide. I mean, I felt pretty good about it in the book. But the show Tywin is a lot more likable uh, and a lot more kind of gray areas and, you know, what his motivations and how he treats his family. So I don't know. That's my theory. I, th I am very curious to see what other people think about it, and I'm curious to see how they play it out because going ahead with the book version is going to be some pretty rough justice, but we'll see. All right, I'm also excited for this week's tinfoil theory. Last week, I casually mentioned about the Hound being alive and made allusion to the Grave Digger theory, and I got a lot of emails saying, what the fuck are you talking about? I've read the books. I totally missed this. And it's interesting because I was aware of this theory before I read the books because I've been doing this podcast for so long that I heard mentions, and I had my antenna up when I was reading these chapters in the books, and I thought it was obvious. I thought it was obvious along the same line of Robert Strong being a resurrected slash reanimated Gregor Clegane. But I'm going to walk you guys through it and see what you think. First off, the last known mention of the Hound while he was alive was in A Storm of Swords, Aria, Chapter 13. Uh, or the 13th Arya chapter, rather. I quote, Arya stepped away from him. You don't deserve the gift of mercy. A little background here. The Hound had been, has been wounded in a fight with some of the Lannister men, and he took a grievous wound to, I believe, his shoulder and also to his leg, and the leg wound has gotten infected. And Arya's mentioned over the course of several days that he's having trouble staying on his saddle, that the wound isn't smelling right, that it's getting infected. Uh... She, and, and in fact, in this moment, right before she says, you don't deserve the gift of mercy, he actually catches her lining up in her water dancer pose to kind of make a thrust at his chest. And he opens his eyes and says, do it. Give, give, me, give me the mercy. Anyway, she says, you don't deserve the gift of mercy. The hound washed her saddle craven, which was the name of her horse, 
through eyes bright with fever. Not once did he attempt to rise and stop her, but when she mounted, he said, a real wolf would finish a wounded animal. Maybe some wolves will f- real wolves will find you, Arya thought. Maybe they'll smell you when the sun goes down. Then you would learn what wolves did to dogs. You shouldn't have hit me with an axe, she said. You should have saved my mother. She then turned her horse and rode away from him and never looked back once. So that's the last time we hear of the Hound alive. Other people hear of tales of the, ho- of the Hound assaulting the salt pans and going on a reaving and murdering spree, which doesn't seem consistent with what we know of the Hound. And Later on, we find that someone has stolen his helm and is rampaging through the countryside. I believe it's one of the brave companions with the other brave companions and doing a bunch of raping and reaving and the bullshit that they get up to. Flash forward to A Feast for Crows in Brienne, the sixth chapter. Uh, she's trying to track down the Hound because she thinks the Hound may have Sansa, may have Arya. And she you know, is tasked by Jamie and also by Catelyn Stark to find her daughters and bring them back safely. The trail has led to the Quiet Isles, which is a small island just in from, uh, j- just very close to the salt pans. And it's at the mouth of the Trident River as it flows into the uh, Bay of Crabs, I believe it's called. And there's uh, a lot of interesting things about this isle. It's surrounded by these uh, tidal plains uh, that you have to take. When the tide is out, you have to take what they call the Path of the Faithful which is a path through this mud where there's stones just beneath the surface. And if you know where you're walking in the right spot, you can go in this very crooked path to the island. If you don't, you fall into the mud, you get stuck there, the tide comes in and uh, drowns you. So keep that in your back pocket. The other thing about this island is tons of things wash up to it. Uh, the trident flows in here. It's a very strong river. They find silver cups and and pieces of gold and swords and and rubies they also get uh, they call these gifts from the river but there's also there's blessings and there's curses the curse is also everything that dies winds its way to the river lots of livestock pigs goats cows and since there's a war going on and the riverlands are where some of the fiercest fighting is going down there's also a lot of dead bodies that have to be disposed of and the Quiet Island is settled by a bunch of religious monks that are um, doing penance for their sins. And they do that by taking a vow of silence and a vow of service where they serve at this little monastery that's on the Quiet Island. They take care of the dead bodies and they reflect on their faith. Um, there are a few proctors that are allowed to speak one day of a week that serve the person that is in charge called the Elder Brother. And he's the only one that's allowed to speak. But his proctors are also allowed to speak once a week. Brienne eventually makes her way to the island and talks to Elder Brother and has this conversation. He says, there's one thing I know, however. The man you hunt is dead, referring to Sandor Clegane. That was another shock. How did he die? By the sword as he had lived. You know this for a certainty? I buried him myself. I can tell you where his grave lies, if you wish. I covered him with stones to keep the carrion eaters from digging up his flesh and set his helm atop the carn to make mark his final resting place. So there you have it, confirmation that Sandor is dead. From the elder brother, first-hand account, uh, buried him, and we do see that the hound's helm is on this pile of stones. But is it really that simple? Brienne continues to have this conversation, and this guy knows a surprising amount about the hound. 
Uh, let's continue the conversation. He says, I know a little of this man, Sandor Clegane. He is Prince Joffrey's sworn shield for many a year, and even here we would hear tell of his deeds, both good and ill. If even half of what we heard is true, this was a bitter, tormented soul, a sinner who mocked both gods and men. He served but found no pride in service. He fought but took no joy in victory. He drank to drown his pain in a sea of wine. He did not love, nor was he loved himself. It was hate that drove him. Though he committed many sins, he never sought forgiveness. Where other men dream of love or wealth or glory, this man Sandor Clegane dreamed of slaying his own brother, a sin so terrible it makes me shudder just to speak of it. Yet that was the bread that nourished him, the fuel that kept his fires burning. Ignoble as it was, the hope of seeing his brother's blood upon his blade was all this sad and angry creature lived for, and even that was taken from him when Prince Oberyn of Dorne stabbed Sir Gregor with a poisoned spear. You sound as if you pity him, said Brienne. I did. You would have pitied him as well if you had seen him at the end. He came upon, I came upon him by the trident, drawn by his cries of pain. He begged me the gift of, of mercy, but I am sworn not to kill again. Instead, I bathed his fevered brow with river water and gave him wine to drink and a poultice for his wound, but my efforts were too little and too late. The hound died there in my arms. You have seen a big black stallion in the stables. This was his warhorse stranger, a blasphemous name we prefer to call him Driftwood, as he was found beside the river. I fear he has his master's former nature. So then Brienne confirms, says, It's true then, she said dully. Sandor Clegane is dead. The elder brother said, He is at rest. Note that when he refers to him dying, he refers to it's the hound. The hound died here in my arms. He also, when she asked, is Sandor Clegane is dead, he then says he is at rest. Now, some people say, well, so what? This, we're still talking about euphemism for people dying. But if you continue on with the elder brother, he later talks a lot about his own experience and how he became, uh, came to the Quiet Isle. Let's examine that. He says, When I died at the Battle of the Trident, I fought for Prince Rhaegar, though he never knew my name. I cannot tell you why, save that the Lord I served served the Lord who served the Lord, who decided to support a dragon rather than a stag. Had he decided elsewhere, I might have been on the other side of the river. The battle was a bloody thing. The singers would have us believe it was all Rhaegar and Robert struggling in the stream for a woman both of them claimed to love, but I assure you other men were fighting too and I was one. I took an arrow through the thigh and another through the foot, and my horse was killed from under me, yet I fought on. I can still remember how desperate I was to find another horse, for I had no coin to buy one, and without a horse I would no longer be a knight. That was all I was thinking of, if truth be told. I never saw the blow that felled me. I heard hooves behind my back and thought a horse, but before I could turn, something slammed in my head and knocked me back into the river, where by rights I should have drowned. Instead, I woke here upon the quiet isle. The elder brother took me, uh, told me I had washed up on the tide, naked as the same day. I can only think that someone found me in the shallows, stripped me of my armor, boots, and breeches, and pushed me back out to the deeper water. The river did the rest. We are all born naked, so I suppose it is only fitting that I come into my second life the same way. I spent the next ten years in silence. It's interesting that he refers to himself as dying up in the Battle of the Trident, and that he's born to his second life. This is a character much like the Hound. He lived by the sword. He quote-unquote died by the sword, yet he found himself washed up at the Quiet Isle 
recovered and is now in service to the, to the faith. Another piece of evidence, they talked about his war horse, Stranger, who is an ill-tempered beast. He has his former master's nature. In fact, Brienne saw Stranger when she first came up on the aisle as one of the proctors was bringing her to the elder brothers. They passed by the stables. And one of the knights with Brienne said, that's a handsome war horse you have there. This is what the proctor said. Handsome he may be, but Driftwood was surely whelped in hell. When we sought to harness him to a plow, he kicked brother Ronnie and broke his shinbone in two places. We had hoped gelding might improve the beast's ill temper, but... Brother Gillum, would you show them? Brother Gillum then lowered his cowl. Underneath he had a mop of blonde hair, a tonsured scalp, a blood-stained bandage where he had should have had an ear. Podrick gasped. The horse bit off your ear? Gillum nodded and covered his head again. A couple things to note here. Number one, the brothers that have taken a, uh, a, a vow of silence also cover their heads with these scarves, these cloaks, so you can't see their features. Two, Stranger's a bastard. This horse they call Driftwood that we now know as Stranger. Uh, he bites at people. He kicks. He refuses to be led. He won't let you touch him. He won't be uh, – you can't put a, any kind of contraption on him to lead him anywhere. How let's and let's let I talk about the the path of faith. Let me read you a little passage about that. It says the path of faith we call it, only the faithful may cross safely. The wicked are swallowed up by the quicksands or drowned when the tide comes rushing in. None of you are wicked, I hope. Even so I'd be careful where I set my feet. Walk only where I walk, and you shall reach the other side. The path of faith is a crooked one, Brienne could not help but note. Septon Maribal did not make directly for the island. As he walked, he paused from time to time to probe ahead with his quarterstaff. So even if Septon had made this path several times, still had to kind of feel it out gingerly and take due, un, you know, some due caution to avoid being mired down. Anyone but the Hound was met with resistance by Stranger. How in the hell, if the Hound died before they got to the quiet river, the quiet island, would the brothers have led Stranger? along that crooked, narrow path of the faith to the island where they'd get him into the stable? How in the hell could they possibly do that? Now, you say you might say, Aaron, you said that the hound had a grave wound that was infected. Surely, the Westerosi medicine at the time couldn't heal him. However, uh, the Septons and the Proctors said earlier in a passage, I'll read this to you as well, it said, the seven have blessed our elder brother with healing hands. He's restored many a man to health that even the maesters could not cure, and many a woman too. So we see that we have a prece precedent that this current elder brother is a whiz at healing. So if the, if the hound survived, what is he doing on the quiet island? There is a mysterious figure referred to as the gravedigger in the text that we're going to read about next. On the upper slopes, they saw three boys driving sheep, and higher still, they passed a lichyard where a brother bigger than Brienne was struggling to dig a grave. From the way he moved, it was plain to see that he was lame. As he flung a spadeful of the stony soil over one shoulder, some chance to spatter against their feet. Be more watchful there, chided Brother Narbert. Septon Maribold might have gotten a mouthful of dirt. The gravedigger lowered his head. When Dog went to sniff him, he dropped his spade and scratched his ear. He's a novice, explained Narbert. So, we have a figure that's larger than Brienne. And we know the Hound was a very large man. Sandor is very big, probably second only to his brother, the Mountain. He's a novice. He hasn't been here for very long. 
He's got a lame leg. His head, of course, is covered in this scarf, and he's got a vow of silence, so no one could recognize his disfigured face. Brienne wouldn't be able to pick that out. And they even threw in a hint that Septon Maribald has a faithful companion, or sorry, Sept, uh, Septor uh, Narbert, uh, has a faithful companion, the dog. He's just called, he's a dog, and he's called the dog. He bounds up to the hound and has an immediate fi- affinity to him. I think this is a very clear sign that, that the gravedigger is, in fact, the hound, and that the, per- that the person that they buried, if it's anyone, uh, was the imposter that was pretending to be the hound. And it could be that he just put uh, stacks of stones up there in the helm in case anyone came by to ask about where the hound is, that he could tell them this story. And that he metaphorically says, I I put those stones so no carrion could go and drag his body out. Uh, That could be a poetic description of what he's afraid of, that people uh, might come and try to drag the hound back and bring him back to his old life. Whereas the quiet, the elder brother... And the brothers on the quiet island want him to repent of his ways and to live a peaceful life and to be at peace. So what I think is interesting is the popular theory then is the hound is going to eventually be called upon as a champion of the faith to fight the resurrected Gregor Clegane in the form of Robert Strong during Cersei's trial. I like that theory because I think it'd be cool as hell. I don't like that theory because it would mean a return to the life that has tormented Sandor so far. It would mean instead of being at peace and uh, letting go of his rage at his brother and uh, letting go of the fact that he's died and moving on with his life, it'd be a return to that life of vengeance that he sook. And it seems very cold that the faith would call him as a champion. However, if he finds out and hears a description of Robert the Strong, I could see him uh, going back as a champion of the faith against their wishes, and he is a big badass and probably has the best chance to take down the mountain. So that is the theory of the Gravedigger. It also is the theory of the, uh, you hear the Clegane Bowl mentioned, Get Hype on Reddit. That is everybody's uh, assuming that this battle will take place and how awesome it will be. That's it for our tinfoil and our spoiler section. Hope you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to send me an email on it, gameofthrones at baldmove.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next Tuesday for another installment. Take care.